sit back and relax. It is time to listen to the old-time radio daytime shows. We hope you enjoy the program. Standard of California, on behalf of independent Chevron gas stations and standard stations throughout the West, invites you to Let George Do It. Stand in for murder, another adventure of George Valentine. Personal notice, changes my stock and trade. If life is throwing you a sneak punch and you don't know how to dodge, you got a job for me, George Valentine. Write full details. Dear Valentine, I bet you never heard this one before. I've got to commit a crime to keep from being a criminal. No use kidding anybody. What I've got to do involves murder, and I'm the fall guy, the clay pigeon. All the way here on the train, I try to figure out of the frame. But there's no way unless I can get some help. You can't get in touch with me, so I'll be dropping in on you. The name's Bill Moran. It doesn't matter what I did in the past, Valentine. Well, it's fairly important to me, Moran, if I'm going to take this case. Okay, okay. I can tell you this much. I happen to be innocent, but the evidence stacks up against me. That's an old and familiar refrain, isn't it? Yeah, but it happens to be true, lady. They just have to see the police on me, and I'll be eating my meals off a tin plate. Ah, uh, who are they, in quotes? Oh, some boys back east. You could call them the gamblers, except they never bet on anything but a sure thing. Uh, I see. In other words, they're blackmailing you into this job you've got to do. It's the only way they'll let me get out of the rack, make them forget what they have on me. Okay, suppose I take this thing. Uh, just suppose, that is... What is it you've got to do? That's just it. I don't know, Valentine. But you said something in your letter about murder. And I'm not even guessing, lady. They wouldn't be sending me all the way across the country for anything else. Well, you must have gotten some instructions. Sure, sure, right. Show up in Suite 817 at the Hawthorne tonight. The door will be open. I'm supposed to go inside and sit down until somebody shows up. That's all I know. <laughs> Sounds like a new prolic I'm one of those conservative uh, gamblers who saves some of his money. So whatever it's worth for you to take my place, just name it. You can do it because nobody in this town knows me. Oh, he can do it all right, Mr. Moran. But don't you think that anyone who's standing for a dead duck should have his head examined? <laughs> I didn't say this was going to be a picnic, lady. Well, Valentine? Well, that's a nice scenario you got there, Moran. You want to get out of the racket, settle down, go straight. You haven't bought a chicken farm, too, have you? Okay, forget it, Valentine. I didn't expect you to believe me. I didn't say I didn't believe you. It's just hard to believe. Oh, here. Perhaps you can believe this picture. Yeah. She's very attractive. And she doesn't look like she's out of the chorus at the Copacabana. She works in a real estate office, 35 bucks a week. And she lives with her mother in Brooklyn. And to make it real corny, her name is Mary. <laughs> Well, maybe I'm a sucker, fella, but I think you sold me. Well, you may be buying more than you can handle this time, darling. Why don't you think it over? I have, Brooksy. If Moran is telling the truth, he deserves a break from somebody. Thanks, Valentine. Let me have your wallet and any other means of identification. Okay. Where are you located in town? Well, I was supposed to get in this morning, but I made it a day earlier, so I'd be sure I'd have nobody on my tail. I'm holed up in a cheap rooming house on Montgomery Street. Okay, now here's what you do. Here's a key to my place. Write down the address, Angel. Okay. Don't even go back to that rooming house, Moran. Yeah, but all you my things You can use my things. Anyway, you're not going anywhere. Just sit there and play solitaire till you hear from me. Here you are, Mr. Moran. Sam at the switchboard will see that no one disturbs you. He'll also know if you go out. Don't worry, I'll stay put. All right, get going, Moran. You'll hear from me sometime tonight, I hope. Take care of yourself, Valentine. Oh, this is fine. 
What am I supposed to do? Knit one pearl, two, and worry myself sick until this is over? George, this is... Brooksy, I have a very important job for you. You've got to follow somebody. What? Yeah, me. Oh. For one thing, I want you to be outside the Hawthorne tonight when I go up to meet somebody I don't know and who fortunately doesn't know me. Anything you say, Mr. Moran, you crazy lunk. him up. He's dead. Don't come near me. You've got no reason to kill me, too. What are you talking about? Look, if you leave me alone, I'll just tell the police I found him that way. Tell them I didn't see who did it. What do you mean? You... Oh, I guess this does look bad. Knife and hand, body on the floor. Who are you anyway, sister? Come on, talk. Mr. Clayton's secretary. We were working late. He wanted to get off on a vacation in a few days and... Oh. Now what? Why the delay take? You must be Moran. Oh, I get it. This frame is beginning to look so perfect you could put a picture on it. You wrote him all those threatening letters. And I suppose they're all nicely tucked away for the cops to find. Stay away from me. Help, somebody. Go ahead, baby. Blow your top. Sorry I can't stick around for the double cross. The man I'm supposed to have killed, Brooksy, is Charles Clayton, vice president of the Colonial Savings Bank. Oh, do you still want to go on with this little masquerade? I'm going to call Lieutenant Riley. But you stay right here and keep your eye on the entrance of that hotel. What will I do? Count the times the revolving door goes round? No, you're going to wait till the cops get through with that secretary and then stick with her. See where she goes, everything she does. Well, unless she's wearing a typewriter cover for a hat, how old I know her? You can't miss her, Angel. She's got red, coppery hair down to her shoulders. The Hollywood version of the perfect secretary. In other words, you wouldn't be expecting her to take shorthand. Okay, I'll keep in touch with you through the switchboard at your place. Good girl. And there's my cue to get going. Valentine, it costs the taxpayers a lot of money to train police officers. Look, Lieutenant... If you're going to take law enforcement all in your own little hands, they'll just have to sit around and get rusty. Now, you wouldn't want to see that happen, would you? Oh, it wasn't a question of enforcing the law, Lieutenant. I was just trying to protect my client. Well, we might have been able to help you in our awkward, unprofessional way. Why didn't you come to us first when this Moran guy waltzed in on you? Because nothing happened first. Yeah. The only thing to do with you is to give you a desk space here at headquarters. At least that way we could keep an eye on you. Now, look, you. Yes, Lieutenant. We made a quick check, see? The guy you saw up at the Hawthorne was Clayton's secretary, all right. And the guy was trying to get things cleaned up so he could get off on a vacation. Those are facts and nothing's wrong with them. Yeah, well, here's another fact. I was kissed off and left to freeze against the cushion. Why? This isn't penny-ante stuff, Lieutenant. You're only guessing when you suspect the secretary and you know it. Oh, come on, Lieutenant. This thing is too pat. I walk in at the appointed time. There's a guy gasping on his last with a knife in him. Uh... And right then, Theo, baby, wanders in from the next room. Mm. So we have a batch of my fingerprints, a witness. And I understand some letters in the file supposedly written by Moran. Yeah. 
You know, if it was anybody else but you, I'd slam you in the can so fast it would take your breath away. Look, Lieutenant, let me have until tomorrow, just one day. Okay. Okay, but if you don't come up with something by then, I'm going to have to ask you to hand over that client of yours. It's a deal, but one more favor. What do you want now, my badge? The secretary, Theo Brown, will give you a description of Moran. And that description will be me. Huh? Let it stay that way. Uh, are you out of your head? You'll have every cop in town on your tail. Yeah, maybe, Lieutenant. But I'm betting there'll be more than one character tipping his mitt when he finds out that Bill Moran, wanted for murder, is still on the loose. George, I'm really beat around the edges this morning. There you are, Angel. Have some of this coffee. Thanks. I was back watching Theo's bungalow at 7 a.m. No leads? Not unless you can read something into them. About 8.30, Theo drove over to the Colonial Bank. Well, sure. She works there. Oh, well, she must be taking the day off. She got as far as the entrance, and she suddenly stopped. Huh? Looks a little frantic to me. Yeah, well, what then? She made a beeline to the Samba restaurant on Doris Boulevard. Well, that place doesn't open till 6 o'clock. Well, Theo sashayed in as though she had a half interest in the place. Chick Hollis doesn't give away a half interest to anybody. Well, she certainly wasn't visiting the porters or the scrub women. Well, why not Chick Hollis himself? Hmm? Yeah, sure. He's just the kind of a boy who likes these big, elaborate deals that would be hard to trace to him. Yeah. There may be a connection between Theo and Hollis. Aha. Uh-huh. Things are beginning to open up, Brooksy. And if Hollis is behind it... I think I know a way to find out what this is all about. Hello, Theo. Uh, what, what are you doing here? Close the door. Now, if you start screaming again, you're going to suddenly lose your voice. You didn't answer my question, Moran. What are you going to do? I'm asking the questions. Nice place you got around here. Wasn't half bad waiting around all day to see you. That gun on the coffee table doesn't scare me. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. I was just cleaning it. I'll put it away. Well, what do we do? Just sit here? No, I got other plans. I've been looking through your closets and other places. And I found out a lot of things. I hope my dainty washables met with your masculine approval. Never mind that. What I want to know is how can a secretary afford three fur coats like I saw in a closet full of expensive dresses? Maybe I saved my money. Or maybe there's a simpler explanation. I think I'll make myself a drink. I mean Chick Hollis. What? Never heard of the man. Look, Theo, suppose you stop lying. Go on, sit down in that chair. You don't care how you manhandle women, do you, Mr. Moran? Now pick up that telephone. Call up Chick. But be sure you dial the right numbers. I know what they are. What do you expect to get out of this, Moran? Just wait and see. You might be surprised. Now, just say, Moran is here with me, chick. What? If you say any more, I'll put a period on the sentence with his gun. All right. Hello? Moran is here with me, chick. That's all, Theo. Now you can make yourself a short drink. I don't think we'll have to wait very long. Why doesn't Hollis use his key, Theo? Or is he playing it safe? I, Stay where I, you are. 
Theo, what do you mean by calling You're me? You're in the right place, friend. All right, you got muscles. Oh, so a, what? There's a third act, sister. A guy like Hollis wouldn't come here alone. Well, little man, don't you want to come in, too? What did you do to the boss? Why, I... You're not going to do anything. I'll take that gun. All right, now the three of you. Go on, sit on that couch. I think I'm about to make a speech. Now, wait a minute, Moran. Certainly we can uh, come to an understanding about this. You heard me wrong, Hollis. I said I was going to do the talking. Jake, if you told me it might be like this, I could have done something about that monkey. Best thing you can do, Squeaky, is keep your mouth shut. Right now, he's got all the cards. Yeah, and I'm going to improve my hand as I go along. Hollis, you're a grade-A sucker. You don't think anybody's smarter than you, and that's bad. All Theo said on the phone was that Moran is here, and the next minute you were leaning on the front door buzzer. Well, Chick, have you got any answers? Let's wait till he's through, huh? If you never showed, Chick, I'd be left high and dry because I was only guessing. But now I know. You know what? I know this much, Squeaky. The big frame was on, and I was in the middle of it. If one of you doesn't tell me how I can get out of it, I'm going to kill the three of you. Chick. You see, Theo, I got nothing to lose. We'll return to tonight's adventure of George Valentine in just a moment. Meanwhile, a word about power. Have you ever driven up San Francisco's famous hill streets like Powell, Taylor, and Jones? Some hill. But try any hill with Chevron Supreme gasoline in your car and you'll say, some gas. For this premium quality gasoline specially blended to give your car its fullest, smoothest power on the steepest hills. Chevron Supreme means faster starts, too. And extra pep for quicker pickups in heavy traffic driving. Best of all, this premium quality gasoline is climate-tailored to give your car peak performance in each different altitude and temperature zone in the West. Why not try a tank full first thing tomorrow? Get Chevron Supreme at any independent Chevron gas station or standard station where they say and mean we'll take better care of your car. Now back to tonight's adventure of George Valentine. It's bad enough to play stand-in for a fall guy. It's really bad when the frame-up involves murder. Worse yet, if you're as stubborn as George Valentine, you carry on the masquerade even when you know that your client, Bill Moran, is being sought for murder. All of which leaves you, gun in hand, facing three desperate characters who'd like nothing better than to see you good and dead. Oh, what's the matter with you three? Didn't you ever go to school? Can't you talk? I, uh, I think we can come to terms, Moran. I'm afraid you were framed and deserve some consideration. Oh, now, Mr. Hollis, you're so good to me. You can make any arrangements you want, Chick, but get this straight. None of this is coming out of my share. I work too hard setting things up for the kill. <laughs> I like your choice of words, Theo. If you just had it told me, Chick, I'd have come here prepared for this guy. I know you feel naked without your arsenal, boy, soprano, but sit down. You hear what he called me? Someday I'm going to get him and nobody will even recognize him when I'm through. Sit down, Squeaky. You too, Theo. Look, I'm a businessman, Moran. I settle when I have to. Especially when a gun is pointed at you. Go on, keep talking. Well, here's my proposition. I'll see that you get out of the country. A private plane and a pilot who knows where to set you down in Mexico. Uh Uh-uh, not good enough. What am I going to do? Eat friolis for the rest of my life? Five grand? Oh, I want to be able to afford a lottery ticket once in a while. Ten grand. Let's not quibble about pennies and make it twenty grand. But if I do win a lottery, I'll send you half of what I make. That's very funny. 
Now, come on. I'll stow you away for the night so nobody can find you. You can get started in the morning. Oh, I got a place to stay. Right here. Dick, you're not going to leave me here. Not with Moran. I always do what I have to. You know that, Theo. Don't worry, sister. You're safe. The worst that can happen is my snoring. If you close the door of your bedroom and stay there, it's all going to be peace and quiet. Isn't he a regular little gentleman? Oh, Hollis, be sure to take that vest pocket gunsel with you. Squeaky likes to take care of me. And I like to take care of myself. Nobody's going to look for me in the apartment of the late Mr. Clayton's secretary. All right, Moran, you're calling the shots. Oh, uh, Theo. Yes? I think you better let me have the key. Maybe safer for everyone. If you're worrying about me, don't. Just the same, you'd better give it to me. I said I'm going to keep it, Chick. Good night. Didn't you hear what I... All right, good night. Come on, Squeaky. That guy thinks he's through with me. Even if I do find you loathsome, Moran, do you mind if I sit down next to you and have a brandy? I don't care what you do. Hey, what are you doing with my pocketbook? Give it to me. <laughs> I always wondered why women didn't carry knapsacks instead of pocketbooks. Uh-huh. What, no ham sandwiches? Let me have that. Okay, okay. Where are you going? Just want to see something. Yeah. Our friend Squeaky is holding up a lamppost down there. You think he might be waiting for you? Does it make you feel better, Moran? I haven't felt good since I met you yesterday. Now, up you go. What are you going to do with me? You're going into that closet, sister. You won't freeze with all those fur coats in there. No, no. Hello? It's me, Brooksy. Safe. <laughs> like a babe nuzzling in his mother's arms. Now listen carefully. I'm at Theo's place and I could use some help. So get over here as soon as you can. Yes, Lieutenant, I know I only have till 12 o'clock. But if you'll just do this, maybe I'll have the answer by then. You. Yeah, you, trying to hold up that lamppost. Who? Oh, me? Yeah, get in the car. But I didn't do anything. Officer. It don't matter, Bob. I'm arresting you for loitering. Well, Bill, here she is, Miss Theo Brown. You have no idea what trouble it was getting her here. No, I smoked ten packs of cigarettes today, Miss Brooks. Where's Valentine? Oh, well, that shouldn't be as important to you as Theo. She's the one who put the finger on you, Mr. Moran. Moran? But who is Did the... you do that to me, lady? Now, Bill, why? just sit down. I'm going to find out why, even if I if have to If you do, give Bill, a... you're going to have to walk over me to get to her. What? That's what I said. If you want everything to come out even for everybody, including Mary back in Brooklyn, you'll listen to me. Oh, all right. You and I are just going to see that Theo stays right here in George's apartment. That shouldn't be long. George may show up any time between now and the next century. Come on in, Hollis. Come on in. This is your office. Make yourself at home. What are you doing here, Moran? Any reason I shouldn't be here? 
Unless you told Squeaky I shouldn't be. I don't know what you're talking about. All right, let's skip that. Don't tell me this is merely a social call. Anything but. I came to tell you you'll have to take more money out of the bank. Look, Moran, what do you think I'm made of? You got no choice but dig it up. If you want to see Theo again. Where is she? Where she can scream as loud as she wants and it won't make any difference. How much more do you want? I want to be sure about that trip to Mexico without any fancy byplay. And I could use 10000 more. In fact, I'm going to have it. How would you like to have 20000 more? I don't quite get the lyrics, but the tune sounds okay. Get rid of Theo. Get rid of her for good. Oh, now I recognize the tone. It's the funeral march. It's important to me. You may as well be hiding out for two murders as for one. <laughs> oh, it's nice doing business with you, Hollis. As long as I never have to turn my back on you. All you have to do is kill her. And bring me the key ring you'll find in her pocketbook. Okay. But we'll play it my way. Which is? You go and get the money. You'll find me waiting here for you. How do I know? I can't afford to double-cross you. All right, Moran. So stay right where you are. There's a man with his heart in the right place. Hello, Riley. This is Valentine. The tramp's all baited and the rat is on his way. Yeah, I'll be down there as soon as I can, Lieutenant. After that, I think we'll have all the answers. So long. <laughs> if Riley ever decided to throttle me, I think the jury would call it justifiable homicide. You reach for your gun and I'll kill you. Huh? Oh, when did you get out, Squeaky? I got friends. I can get bail. You had me picked up, didn't you? Valentine. Who's Valentine? I've been in the next room listening. You just called the cops. I'm going to go checking me a favor and kill you. <laughs> You're an all-around boy, aren't you, Squeaky? Using a gun now. I never killed that banker. But you gave me an idea. I think I will use a knife on you. I always knew I was lucky. It'll be nice and quiet. You're through wisecracking, Valentine. Hey, now, wait a minute. Put that gun away. You couldn't cut a piece of cheese, you boy soprano. Don't, don't you call me that. Boy soprano. I'll show you. You ought to know by now when you lose your temper, you only see red. George. Oh, I was worried about you. I just saw Hollis leave the building. Oh, I yeah, the gentleman on the floor, Brooksy, didn't like being called a boy soprano. What are you doing here anyway? What a man. First he tells me to follow him, and when I finally catch up with him, he asks questions. Oh, oh. oh, I guess you ought to be in on the payoff, Angel. But we'll have to wait. The bank doesn't open till 10. Where do you intend to spend all that nice, crisp money, Hollis? Huh? What's that? Lieutenant Riley, homicide. No, 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 no. Leave that safe deposit box out so we can take a good look at it. Oh, uh, sure. What's all this about, Lieutenant? I'm a respectable businessman. I run a restaurant yeah, tonight. you also know how to kill and have someone else pay for it. Moran. Don't lose him too quickly, George. He may die of shock. The name is Valentine. All right, your name's Valentine. What's the gag? Moran's my client, and he didn't want to be framed. And you really dreamt up a beauty. What have you been doing? Taking goof pills? Mr. Hollis doesn't seem to take you seriously, George. You better convince him. The first mistake you made, Hollis, is when you made such a commotion about a key when you were at Theo's place. Now, that made me curious. Strange how your curiosity doesn't interest me. I got a good look at Theo's key ring. There was a key to a safe deposit box on it. 
That's what you were haggling about. Can I call my lawyer, Lieutenant? The lieutenant seems to be occupied, Mr. Hollis. I traced the key down here to the Colonial Savings Bank. The box is in your name and Theo. What's wrong with that? Oh, nothing ordinary. But on the first of the month when the bank examiners come around, they might just find that Vice President Clayton has been stashing away all sorts of money for his vacation with Theo. Suddenly I can't hear a word you're saying. That was nice long-range planning, getting Theo into the bank so she could make Clayton forget what they taught him in Sunday school. Fifty thousand bucks in here. Well, that's a nice round sum. Enough for you to split with Theo. Even after you paid to import a guy to take the rap for killing Clayton. Now tell me, Hollis, did you wait until you heard me coming down the hall to put the knife in him? And did Theo let you out the back way? I didn't kill Clayton. Well, Squeaky says he didn't. So you two boys will have a chance to fight it out for the yard. And with Squeaky and Theo both singing, you're going to be a dead duck, Hollis. Uh, you know, George, a horrible thought just occurred to me. What's that, Brooksy? Well, either Hollis or Theo could have come here yesterday morning, taken the money and gone somewhere to live happily ever after. Uh-uh. That couldn't happen. Huh? huh? What made you so sure? How come you knew you had a whole day to work in? Because Hollis and Theo overlooked something. I never overlooked anything. <laughs> when you go to the trouble to kill the vice president of a bank, you run the risk of closing the next day in respect to his beloved memory. <laughs> Why are we going to the household fixtures department, Angel? You'll see. George, I just thought of something. Mm. The reason Theo was so upset. Mm. I mean, when she stopped at the front door of the bank and then made a beeline for the sandwich. I wasn't close enough to see the sign, bank closed. <laughs> Came the door. Mm. Yeah, but what are we supposed to do among all these pots and pans? Buy a wedding present for Bill Moran and Mary back in Brooklyn. Oh, Miss... How much are these chimes? Twelve fifty, and a very good buy. Listen. Oh, nice! I'll take two of them. Well, I hate to ask this, but Angel, who's the other one for? If I live long enough, you'll find out. Imagine driving around the world not once, but four times without an engine repair? Well, in actual mileage, one man has driven even farther than that on compounded RPM motor oil and without an engine repair. His name is George M. Hollingsworth, an insurance agent in Bakersfield, California. Here's what Mr. Hollingsworth said, quote, One of my cars has gone 123,000 miles on RPM without engine repairs, unquote. And lots of Western motorists have told us they've driven seven and eight years on RPM without engine repairs. Thousands of others have learned that RPM pays its own way many times over. For RPM is compounded to stop carbon trouble, to guard engine hot spots left bare and exposed to wear by ordinary motor oils, and to keep the whole engine system cleaner. Try RPM motor oil tomorrow. Get it at any standard station or any independent Chevron gas station where they say and mean we'll take better care of your car.
next week, when you tune our way for another adventure of George Valentine, you'll find George faced with a new problem in a letter that reads... Dear Mr. Valentine, how do you explain this in a man? At 38, he's retired, a millionaire. Yet he steals a trinket from a five and ten cent store. Makes sure he's caught and then merely laughs. This man is my husband. I must find out what's happening to him. Please come to my home as soon as possible. Signed, Edna Pallister. Next week, a new case for George. The Malignant Heart. Tonight's adventure of George Valentine has been brought to you by Standard of California on behalf of independent Chevron gas stations and standard stations throughout the West. Let George Do It stars Robert Bailey as George with Francis Robinson as Claire. Wally Mayer appears as Lieutenant Riley. Tonight's story was written by David Victor and Herbert Little Jr. and directed by Don Clark. Also heard in the cast were Gene Bates as Theo, Gerald Moore as Hollis, Robert Jellison as Squeaky, and Eddie Marr as Moran. The music is composed and conducted by Eddie Dunstetter, your announcer, John Easton. Listen again next week, same time, same station, to Let George Do It. This is the Mutual Don Lee Broadcasting System. This is the cold season. What do medical authorities say about the common cold? Doctors tell us there's no known drug which will cure a cold. There are effective medications for treating complications, accompanying or following a cold. If you've been taking sensible precautions and still have one cold after another, it's best to see your doctor. And here's another important health tip. When you have a cold and need a laxative, that's the time to rely on gentle X-lax. Pleasant-tasting, chocolated X-lax helps you toward your normal regularity gently overnight. X-Lax gets along with any cold remedies you may be taking, and X-Lax works where nature wants, in the lower tract, not the stomach. Taken at bedtime, X-Lax won't disturb sleep, gives you the closest thing to natural action the next morning. You're well on your way toward your normal regularity, without upset or discomfort. So when you have a cold and need a laxative, take X-Lax, the laxative you can use with complete confidence. X-Lax helps you toward your normal regularity gently overnight. X-Lax. The following program is transcribed. For a wash that's deep clean, sparkling clean, use deep cleaning Oxidol. Oxidol is deep cleaning. Deep cleaning. Deep cleaning. Oxidol's own Ma Perkins. Today, let's listen in on a conversation between a mother and her recently married daughter. The daughter is talking about an amazing wash day discovery she made recently. Listen. Well, I've never been so surprised in my life. Just think of it, Mother. Dirty water coming out of clean clothes. Clothes I myself had just washed with the leading suds the way you're told to. Well, now, how in the world did dirty wash water happen to be coming from clean clothes? Well, they washed them over again the deep-cleaning Oxidol way. You should have seen the dirty wash water that came from those clothes. 
certainly proved to me how much gray dirt deep-cleaning Oxidol can get out of clothes already washed with shortcut suds. No shortcut suds for me. I'm switching to deep-cleaning Oxidol today. Yes, ladies, and it will pay you to switch to deep-cleaning Oxidol, too. For deep-cleaning Oxidol reaches deep down into fabrics and washes out the gray dirt left in clothes by the leading wash day suds, the leading shortcut suds. So try this yourself next wash day. Use deep-cleaning Oxidol and... See for yourself how much dirt Oxidol can get out of your clothes. And most important of all, see for yourself what Oxidol does for your clothes. When you use deep-cleaning Oxidol, your clothes look white and bright. Your clothes feel soft and fluffy. Clothes smell sweet, too. Yes, your clothes look clean, feel clean, smell clean, because they are clean with deep-cleaning Oxidol. Yet, Oxidol is truly safe. Deep-clean clothes stay brighter, new-looking longer. So don't wash clothes with suds that leave dirt in. To get clothes deep clean, sparkling clean, use deep cleaning Oxidol. Oxidol is deep cleaning. Deep cleaning. Deep cleaning. Ask your dealer for Oxidol today. about those deceitful cousins of hers. When Cousin Sylvester proposed marriage to Faye, the truth became more important than ever, that the cousins are no better than swindlers. Ma and the folks have been thwarted at every turn, at least until yesterday, because yesterday Shuffle did learn from Willie. Yes, Cousin Sylvester has taken Willie's life savings for some sort of crooked investment. Of course, Ma doesn't know that yet. Well, it's shortly afternoon now, and Ma's just entering the house. Listen. Is that you, Ma? Yes, please. Oh, I was beginning to wonder where you were. It's almost one o'clock. Uh, Cousin Ed called up from the lumber yard. Oh, hi, Ma. Hello, Cousin Ed said he and Sylvester take turns going to lunch. Where were you, Ma? Where's Shuffle? We, uh, we've been at, at Abby's. The Shuffle won't be here. Paulette have her lunch? Oh, yes, almost an hour ago. She's outside someplace. Well, what happened, Ma? Did you learn anything from Abby? Oh, wait. Here, sit down. I'll get you your lunch. We didn't learn nothing. Uh, I ain't very hungry, say. Uh, did you make tea? Oh, no, but I'll make it now. What do you mean you didn't learn anything? Was Willie there? Shuffle was there ahead of you, wasn't he? Tell me, Ma. There's nothing to tell, child. Yes, yes, Shuffle was arguing with Evie when I got there. Evie was just like she's been this past month or more. She don't like folks asking questions about her business. So we didn't learn nothing. On the way home, Willie was coming along the street. Shuffle stopped to talk to him. Oh, that Evie. She can be so obstinate when she decides to be. Hmm. Uh, d- did you say anything to Evie about me, Ma? About Sylvester and me? No, I didn't say, child. I, as a matter of fact, I wouldn't know what to say. I, I haven't talked to you about it. 
You only told me that Sylvester wants to marry you. I'd, I'd like to talk with you about it. Uh, unless you're of a mind not to. Sure, Ma. Wait a minute. Uh, spoon this out and I'll put on the tea and then we'll talk. Hmm, it's real queer how things work out. Here me and Shuffle and all of us have been trying to learn if the cousins are some kind of crooks taking Willie's nevy's money and lying about it. And at the very same time, I learned the nicest thing that I could learn about Cousin Sylvester. That he likes my face so much. That's a testimonial on his behalf, is it? Ma, you're very sweet. Here, sit down. And you know, that's so true about the girl herself. I mean, a man can be almost any sort of man, but the minute it becomes obvious to the girl that he's serious about her. She can't help thinking about him very seriously. Is that the only way you feel about Cousin Sylvester, Fayetteville? Interested in him only because he's interested in you? I just don't know, Ma. I certainly don't think I'm in love with Sylvester. Not the way I was in love with Paul. Not the way I felt about Andrew. But on the other hand, maybe it's I myself who've changed. Maybe what I'm looking for is not romantic love, but... Oh, just to get it over with. By which I mean, get married. Stop feeling at such loose ends. I don't want to wait much longer, Mob. Paulette will be too grown up. The... Adjustment would be too difficult for her. And I do want to get married. Maybe I'm sort of lonely, too. It's real hard for me to believe that you've changed so very much, Faith. That you'd get married to anybody just because you got this idea that you should get married. I, I always think of my Faye as a girl who... Hmm? Who loves with her heart as well as her head. But don't we grow up, Ma? Get older, more reasonable. And I believe that I'm an affectionate person. After I know somebody long enough, it's just my nature to like them very much. Sylvester. Sylvester or anyone. Until now, of course. I mean... Until Shuffle began making me look at Sylvester so... Oh, sideways. You know what Shuffle thinks Sylvester's after, Ma. Hmm? What Sylvester's after? Shuffle says it's my inheritance. The money. The money Paul left Paulette and me. Oh. One thing you got to admit about Shuffle, he comes out plain and straight with what he thinks. Your money. Why, the thought just never crossed my mind. The cousins trying to get everything. To, well, that just fits in with everything else that Shuffle believes. He believes that Sylvester took Willie's and Evie's money. He believes that they're in town only to get what they can from all of us. Yes, Shuffle has been telling us right along. Why does Cousin Sylvester even know that you got that inheritance? Oh, he knows all right. 
We've even had a discussion or two about insurance or something. Sylvester used to sell insurance. Yes, he knows. My cousin? Paul's cousin? Uh, isn't that water boiling yet? No. Land, it's like one little drop of poison can just spoil everything. Since all this started, I've been ashamed even to talk to Benita. Why, how can I even face Benita with the idea in the back of my mind that maybe her or her family are no better than... Huh? Can I come the door? Wait, that sounds like... Say, was that Willie? It's Willie and Shuffle, Ma. Hello. Willie and Shuffle. For heaven's sake, Shuffle, will you let go of my arm? I'm black and brown from where you've been grabbing me. Listen, I haven't had my lunch yet. I know, yet. I know, I know. I'm hungry. I'm tired. I don't want any arguments when I'm hungry and tired. Hi, Faye. Oh, Willie. Really? This guy's crazy. Hello, Willie. <laughs> well, if it's lunch you want, Willie. Greetings, ladies. Sure, somebody give Willie lunch. You don't have to talk, Willie. You just have to nod your head yes. You let go of me. All right, son. Anyhow, I want to sit down. Well, what is it? What's the excitement? Well, Willie, do you really want lunch? Wait, here, I, I just set this in front of Ma, and she hasn't even touched it. You take it, Willie. I, I'll set you another plate, Ma. Oh, thanks, Faye. This guy is crazy, absolutely crazy. You hear me, Shuffle? You're crazy. Oh, well, what is it, Shuffle? Why are you standing there looking like... <laughs> You're looking at Willie like... Well, Perkins, I'm looking at Willie like he's a plate of candy. For 17 years, we worked shoulder to shoulder, and I always figured he was the most upstanding... Outstanding, every kind of standing young fella between Peruvian and Bulgravia. Now I know he's more than that. Huh? For he's a jolly good fellow. <laughs> and if anybody <laughs> says it to the contrary, I'll poke him right in the snoot. Victory, ball, victory, Faye. And I'll do the little old woozy cheap woozy fish. Oh, cut it out now. <laughs> Come on, Willie, eat your lunch. You got any cake, Faye? Bread ain't good enough for this fair prince of good fellows. You ought to have cake. Want a glass of milk, Willie? Excuse me, Faye, I'll go get Willie a glass of milk. You see? You hear? He's nuts. Absolutely gone loony. I don't want any milk, and I don't want any cake. Is this really for me? Yeah. Yes, yes, sure, Willie, go ahead. Well, what is it, Shuffle? Willie, you yourself don't know how important it is what you just told me out there on the street. Willie himself don't realize, lady, but he told me. Willie, you can't deny that you told me. But I told you what? I don't even know what you're talking about. Willie Fitz has told me, folks, or words to that effect, that him and Evie took every cent they got in the world, their savings account, their life savings, and they gave the money to Sylvester to invest it for them. No. Shuffle, I told you it was a secret. I told you that Sylvester said we can't tell anybody. Is that why you dragged me here? Huh? Well, why is everybody looking like like I got two heads or something? Did you hear it, Ma? Did you hear it, Faye? What he just said? Oh, Willie. Then it's true. My cousin. Pa's cousin. Our own cousin. <laughs> I never got such a sparkling wash before. That's what women everywhere are saying about deep-cleaning Oxidol, for deep-cleaning Oxidol really gets clothes sparkling clean, reaches deep down into fibers for the grimy dirt in clothes and floats it away. You can see your clothes washed dazzling white and bright with Oxidol. You can feel the clothes are soft and fluffy. 
smell their sweet, too. Yes, clothes look clean, feel clean, smell clean, because they are clean with deep-cleaning Oxidol. So for a wash that's deep clean, sparkling clean, get deep-cleaning Oxidol at your dealer's now in the same familiar Oxidol package. going to happen? Well, Ma decides what she must do on Monday. But now this is Charlie Warren inviting you to listen again Monday to Oxidol's own Ma Perkins, transcribed same time, same station. For a wash that's deep clean, sparkling clean, use deep cleaning Oxidol. Oxidol is deep Cleaning, deep cleaning, deep cleaning. Jerry Lewis Show. Brought to you by Chesterfield. Sound off for Chesterfield. Get something new, something no other cigarette has. Chesterfield mildness plus no unpleasant aftertaste. By Anison for fast relief from pain of headache, neuritis, and neuralgia. And by Dentine, the gum with breathtaking flavor... And Beeman's Pepsin, the gum that's great to chew and good for your digestion, too. And now, ladies and gentlemen, it gives me great pleasure to introduce our Master of Ceremony. Hi, folks, this is Dean Martin. Well, there's no sense in trying to kid ourselves. Every week has a Friday in it, and everybody in our little crew seems to be ready and raring to go, with the exception of my brush-headed partner. Seems he had a little trouble at home this afternoon. He went out and started to spray the roses, which caused quite a bit of excitement. You see, the roses are his next-door neighbors. <laughs> well, until my friend gets here, supposing I slip in a fast course of who's sorry now. Who's sorry now? Who's sorry now? Whose heart is aching Or breaking its bound Who's sad and blue Who's crying too Just like I cried over you Right to the end Oh, just like a friend I tried to warn you You had your way, now you must pay, but I'm glad that you're sorry now. 
to the end Oh, just like a friend I tried to warn you somehow You had your way But now you must pay I'm glad that you're sorry now Gentlemen, it becomes my great oh, pleasure. Oh, sorry now. Oh, sorry now. Who's back is broken from milking a cow? <laughs> Jerry, what is it, Jerry? Every time I introduce you, you never come out like a gentleman. What, I come out like a lady? <laughs> no, but I, I can suggest a few changes. Look at that haircut and that face. What's wrong with the face? I got a pimple. Your face hasn't got a pimple. It is a pimple. You listen here, D. Martin. I may not be looking... Yeah, listen here. Yeah, you listen here, D. Martin. I may not be good looking, but I'm not very handsome either. All of that for this. Look, Jay, we can't continue. We can't continue this fight like this. We're partners. Yeah, well, that's another thing. I'm tired of the way you split up our salary. What more do you want? We split 50-50. Sure, but why should all the taxes come out of my head? <laughs> Jerry, you know, it all evens out in the end. Evens out? So how come you have an eight-car garage and I have to park my scooter in the cellar? <laughs> I'm glad you mentioned automobiles, Jerry. Good heavens, I finally said something that made him glad. <laughs> you see, tonight I thought we'd enact a scene showing the problems the traffic cops have with lady drivers. Oh, boy, hey, Dina, can I be the traffic cop? No, but you could be the lady driver. Me take the part of a lady driver? <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> All righty, ladies and gentlemen, at this time, Jerry and I would like to take you out on the highway and give you our impression of a meeting between a lady motorist and a policeman. In my merry Oldsmobile, I'm so pretty I could squeal. All right, lady, pull over to the side. Well... I guess you know why I stopped you. You were lonely. <laughs> Look, lady, you went through 12 red lights, 18 stop signs, sideswiped five cars, and you've been driving on the wrong side of the road. Now what do you got to say for yourself? Well, heavens to Betsy, none of us are perfect. <laughs> That's us. I'm giving you a ticket. I'm sorry, but I never accept things from strange men. Lady, don't tell me you've never been pinched. Well, yes, but never on an open highway. That's not been trying to catch up with you for 15 minutes. You're the lousiest driver I've ever seen. You hear me? Haven't you ever been a pedestrian? Let's leave religion out of this. Listen to me! I've had enough. I'm writing out a ticket. I'm afraid you'll have to forget about arresting me. I come from New York. Yeah? Well, in the first place, you happen to be driving in Los Angeles, and in the second place, I think you're out of your mind. If I wasn't out of my mind in the second place, I wouldn't drive in Los Angeles in the first place. Oh, get out of here! 
Watch there. Now get yourself out of character and join us while we all sound off for Chesterfield. When making out your Christmas list, be sure you all remember this. For smoking pleasure at its best, here's the gift that leads the rest. Chesterfield, 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 Chesterfield. A Christmas carton of milder, milder Chesterfield. That's right! When you give Chesterfields for Christmas, you're giving the perfect gift for any smoker. Because Chesterfield has something no other cigarette has. Chesterfield mildness plus no unpleasant aftertaste. Ask your dealer to show you the beautiful Chesterfield Christmas card carton. This carton was designed with a double purpose in mind. To make a welcome holiday gift and a warm holiday greeting card as well. So drop in at your dealer's. And while you're there, shop around. You'll find he has lots of Christmas gifts. Something for everyone on your list. And don't forget now, Christmas time or any time, sound off for Chesterfield. Chesterfield has something new No other brand can offer you Mildness plus no aftertaste No unpleasant aftertaste Sound up For Chesterfield Sound up For Chesterfield Try a pack of Chesterfield Do it! Today! Folks, when we were in the middle of shooting our new picture, Sailor Beware, our boss, Mr. Hal Wallace, decided one spot in the picture needed a good love song. This decision was passed down through channels until it finally reached the talented hands of Mac David and Jerry Livingston, who locked themselves away for a few days, and when the master padlock was open, they were sitting there with a copy of a little number that we really liked. So let's see how you like it. Ricardo? Never before has my heart felt a thrill like this. Never before. Never before. Never before. Has the whole world stood still like this As I gaze at the face I simply adore After today When they speak about past I'll smile and I'll say I've been there once or twice For this is that once in a lifetime The miracle of your kiss I've never loved like this, never before. 
that once in a lifetime the miracle of your kiss. I've never loved like this, never Since you've given me your listening ears, how about turning them over to Jimmy Wallington? Thank you, Dean. Ladies and gentlemen, the next time you suffer from pains of headache, neuritis, or neuralgia, take Anison. You'll bless the day you heard of this incredibly fast way to relieve these pains. Now, the reason Anison is so wonderfully fast-acting and effective is this. Anison is like a doctor's prescription. That is, Anison contains not just one but a combination of medically proven active ingredients in easy-to-take tablet form. Thousands of people have received envelopes containing Anison tablets from their own dentist or physician, and in this way discovered the incredibly fast relief Anison brings from pains of headache, neuritis, or neuralgia. So the next time a headache strikes, take Anison for this wonderfully fast relief. Anison, A-N-A-C-I-N. Anison comes in handy boxes of 12 and 30. Economical family size bottles of 50 and 100. Get Anison at any drug counter. And now, ladies and gentlemen, it is my pleasure to introduce our guest of the evening. Hey, Dean, I won. Jerry, I thought I told you to wait in the cage. <laughs> In a cage. Listen here, Demon. I'm just as big as you are, see? What's troubling you now? Every week we have a beautiful guest like Jane Wyman or Denise Darcel or Shelly Winters. She meets you first, and I don't stand the ghost of a chance. But well, why not? Well, after they've seen cheesecake, who wants chopped liver? <laughs> All right, Jerry, if you want to make the introduction, be my guest. Folks, our guest tonight is somebody real wonderful. It's really a great thrill for me to introduce the first lady of comedy, Miss Joan Davis. Folks, and thank you, Jerome. <laughs> Gosh, Joan, you don't have to be so formal. You can call me what everyone else calls me. Please, I happen to be a lady. <laughs> you don't like me? I ain't what you expected? Well, frankly, I expected a man, not a stringless howdy doody. <laughs> <laughs> well, I still like you. In my opinion, we belong together like pork and beans, like bacon and eggs, like... Chicken and canned cranberry sauce. And, and you know something? What? I'm hungry. Excuse me, Jay, but you haven't introduced me to our charming guest. Hey, Dean, do me a favor. You get all the dames. Leave this one for me. Uh, don't worry, Jerry. I'll make you look real good. Introduce me. Uh, oh, Joan, I'd like you to meet my partner, Dean Martin. He's married. <laughs> oh, how do you do, Mr. Martin? Hello, baby. This is going to make me look good. Oh, of course. Just look at Dean. Tall, handsome, strong. Someday he'll grow ugly. 
But what can happen to you? Well, Jerry, it looks like you found yourself a soulmate after all. Gosh, maybe for once we can do a play where I'm the hero and get the girl. How about it, Joan? You and me? Okay, Fuzz Top. Ladies and gentlemen, it is with great pride that we present an original operatic melodrama entitled... The Curse of an Aching Heartburn. <laughs> Listen now as we hear the enchanting voice of our contralto, Miss Joan Davis. Gorgeous heroine. Oh, what an awful mess I'm in. For the mortgage has come due, and I know not what to do. If I wed the squire today, he will carry me away. It will break my heart to leave this little shack And the other little shack that's out in back I am in desperate straits I have no money I have no food The squire has offered me furs and jewels But I laugh at him <laughs> Perhaps I am naive that's French for schnook. <laughs> Soon he will be here for the rent. Well, hark, hark, someone approaches. I am the squire whose rents are much higher to prove with just bonus and you'll pay a bonus. I don't have much feeling for OPA ceiling cause under the table you'll pay that much more. I've come for my money or you'll be my honey. Unless you can pay up to me, you must play up. I'm sorry I picked you, but I must evict you. It's marriage or money and that is the score. Yes, I am the evil villain. Who knocks on my portal? <laughs> Porthole, I'm Design. <laughs> oh, the good humor man. Ah, me proud beauty. Come to me, Theodora. We shall kiss. Nay, never with lips that have touched liquor. I haven't had a drink. But I just finished a fifth. <laughs> and besides, my true love, Reggie Ridgway, will soon be here to save me.
the squire. Squire. <laughs> I must rescue her. Open up. His eye, bold, fearless, Reggie Ridgway. I won't let you in. But, squire, it's cold outside. <laughs> I must gain my entrance the hard way. Through the window. Reggie Ridgway, what do you want? Could you maybe let me have a bandage? <laughs> Reggie, the squire and I are talking business. Oh, excuse me. I'll just sit here in the corner and bleed. <laughs> All right, Theodora. How about a kiss? Here now. She don't even know you. Theodora is going to marry me. Tell him. Tell him you are promised to another. Another what? <laughs> Such hard questions, Ah, uh, listen, you two. <laughs> listen to me, you two. Either Theodora marries me, or I'll more close the forties. <laughs> more close the forties. <laughs> For a minute, I thought he was wrong. Theodora, you must pay the mortgage, or I shall carry you off in my Cadillac and take you to my mansion, where you will be my wife. And handmaidens will dress you in mink, sable, and fine jewels. Don't worry, Theodora. I'll save you. Oh, shut up. <laughs> that suits. I'm hurt to the quick. Oh, Reggie, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I didn't mean it. You must make a choice, Theodora. It is either me, the tall, handsome, and wealthy Willem, or me, the poor, skinny, and ugly hero. <laughs> Well, I shall marry Reggie Ridgway, all-American jerk. This <laughs> <laughs> uh. is spoiled again. Theodora, I leave you now and forever. Goodbye, Theodora. I'm going out the door. Choices we rehearsed. I wish their parts were reversed. Curses, curses, spoiled again. And that's no lie. And that's no lie. And that's no lie. That's no lie. Let's let's keep moving. We're targets up here. <laughs> and that's no lie. So, so it's goodbye. Goodbye. Well, folks, as the curtain falls on our operatic effusions, it rises again to reveal the handsome figure of our leading baritone, James Wallington. Thank you, Dean. And now here's something of interest to everybody. For breathless moments, for your breathless moments. Chew dentine, the gum with <gasps> breathtaking flavor. Dentine tastes so good. Dentine freshens your breath. Dentine helps keep your teeth sparkling clean and white. Dentine, the gum with <gasps> breathtaking flavor. Before you go out and always after eating, drinking, smoking, refresh your breath with dentine. You'll love dentine chewing gum. 
for dentine has a wonderful, tingling, nippy flavor that lingers on and on. It's delicious. And remember, dentine helps keep your teeth white, too. Keep dentine handy. You'll enjoy refreshing your breath when you chew dentine. So, for breathless moments, for your breathless moments... Chew dentine. The gum with... (gasps) Breathtaking flavor. A few nights ago, I was sitting around the house looking through my old high school yearbook. One picture of the high school prom brought me back to a real painful memory. I had managed to get a date with the belle of the school, and I was pretty proud. I didn't get to dance too many dances with her because I had to get up on the stand every so often and sing a number. After one dance, I turned to throw her a kiss before I started to sing. But she didn't catch it. She was too busy kissing the captain of the football team. Well, it was a pretty sad student who sang that song, and the lyric sure did fit the situation. So, Richard, a little memory music. You've got me crying again. You've got me sighing. What is this love all about? I'm in and I'm out. Your kiss is right from the start. Came from your lips, not your heart. You make me happy And then Somebody new Looks good to you You've got me crying again Just crying For you
because I'm worried. Well, what's the trouble, Jay? Well, I was the hero tonight, and I won a girl. I never won a girl before. Hi, boys. What's the discussion about? Well, Jerry's a little worried. He says he won you tonight, and he doesn't know what to do about it. My, he is a young one, isn't he? <laughs> you know, Joan, you're really very hilarious. I noticed tonight on the show you said all those funny things, and you made the faces, and everybody laughed, and, and it's terrific, you know, because I'm the comedian on the show, and you come on as a guest, and, and you make everyone laugh. <laughs> <laughs> Don't do it no more. <laughs> I don't mind him, Joan. It was really swell of you to join us tonight. You've been a great sport, Joan, and please come back real soon. I sure will. Night, fellas. Good night, night Joanie. And so, folks, hope to see you all again next week. Until then, this is Dean Martin. And Jerry Lewis reminding you that we appear on radio through the courtesy of Hal Wallace Productions, producers of our soon-to-be-released picture, Sailor Beware. Good night, folks. Night, everybody. Hollywood, you have just heard transcribed the Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis show, written by Ed Simmons and Norman Lear, produced and directed by Dick Mack, with music under the direction of Dick Stabile, brought to you by Chesterfield. Sound off for Chesterfield. Get something new, something no other cigarette has, Chesterfield mildness, plus no unpleasant aftertaste. By Anison for fast relief from pain of headache, neuritis, and neuralgia, and by Dentine, the gum with breathtaking flavor, and Beeman's Pepsin, the gum that's great to chew, and good for your digestion, too. Joan Davis will soon be seen starring in the Columbia picture, Harem Girl. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. Coca-Cola Bottler presents Claudia. Claudia, based on the original stories by Rose Franken. Brought to you transcribed Monday through Friday by your friendly neighbor who bottles Coca-Cola. Relax, and while you're listening, refresh yourself. Have a Coke. And now, Claudia. Coming, coming. Oh, David, it's you. Yes, it's me. What are you doing home at noontime? Do you have lunch? David, is anything wrong? No, darling, nothing is wrong with me, but your eyes are red. Are they? I can't tell I'm behind them. David, did you... Oh, I know why you came. Oh, darling, that's sweet. You don't know anything of the kind, and I'm not sweet. I came home to test you. 
test me? How many times do I have to tell you not to answer the door when you don't know who it is? Then how do you expect me to find out? Put the chain on the door before you open it. Oh. Then no one can get in if you don't want them to. That's sissy. And I am not a sissy. Then become a sissy. Sometimes it's smart to be one. Can't fool me, David. You didn't come home to tell me that. Came home because of the sick kitten, didn't you? You can't fool me either. That's why your eyes are red. I, uh, had to be uptown this afternoon oh, anyway. David, it's so awful to watch him. Where is he? On the sofa. Have you time to come in? I'll make time. I'm glad you came. He's only a kitten, and yet I... I just can't help feeling... Oh, David, you don't think I'm just being silly? Now, look, darling, I married you because you are silly about things like this. I know there are lots of things more important in the world, but I... Not really, because this sick kitten is a symbol of all the important things in the world. I see what you mean, David. Poor little devil. He just seems to get smaller, so pitifully smaller and vulnerable. David. What, dear? He's not going to die, is he? Well, he... Doesn't seem to be getting any better. I wish you'd never brought him home. Why ask for heartache when you don't have to? If you are afraid of that, you won't have any joy either. David, I'm not brave, and I'm, I'm sorry if you're disappointed in me. Now, listen here. A moment ago, you said you weren't a sissy. I'm not about opening doors. Maybe about life, I am. No. That's probably for me. I told Roger to call in case something came up at the office. Hello. Oh, Kelly, this is Norton. Yes, but uh, I'll be tied up for a little while. But look here, now you stay where you are. I'll be there when I get there. And I'm warning you. Have that reinforcing problem licked or else. Okay, goodbye, old boy. Well, I couldn't be married to Kelly David. He wouldn't understand. He's not a bad guy, just a little tough. You sound tough. I am tough. Don't let this general exterior fool you. It's not the exterior that fools me. It's your interior. Just because you think I came home at high noon to see a sick kitten, you think I'm not tough, I huh? think you're wonderful. That's what I think. Say, how would you like to go out to dinner tonight? There's that nice fish place around the corner. Mm, no, I'd rather stay home. Would you like me to get some fish for dinner? It all depends on what kind of fish. Not salmon, please. Oh, there are other kinds of fish than salmon in the sea. Say, maybe the smell of fish would perk up the kitten. Like uh, aromatic spirits of ammonia? <laughs> well, it's an idea. No harm in trying, darling. I'm going by the store. I'll give you a lift in the car oh, if you're David, ready to start. Maybe when I get back, he'll be better? Maybe, darling, but don't count on it. Good day, Mrs. Norton. Oh, Fritz, hello. Lovely day, yes? Is it? I've been hurrying, so I hardly noticed. Uh, I take your bundles up. You are without breath. It's all right. I can manage. Oh, I go up anyway to the fourth floor to fix things. But you're always going up to the fourth floor. What do they do up there? Four little boys. Oh, <laughs> I see. I take the packages. It's fish. I can smell it. That's good. I hope the kittens can. That's what I bought it for. Oh, the little kittens are too young for eating still. Yes, I know. One of them's awfully sick, Fritz. Oh, no, and so small, before he even is alive. Uh, but the other one, he is strong. Oh, yes, he, he's all right. Well, maybe the little sick one will be all right, too. Mm. Uh, I was a farmer once, Mrs. Norton. I was good with the animals. Uh, I come in and look at him. Oh, would you? Maybe you'll know what the matter is. Maybe uh, I try. 
Never mind. He's in the living room. Yeah, I go in first and see how he is. I'll come with you. He's right over there, Fritz, on the pillow. Yeah. He's awfully quiet now. Yeah, he, he is quiet. That's a good sign, isn't it? He's been mostly feverish and restless. Is he warm, Fritz? Feel his nose. No, he is... He's cool now. Then maybe everything is... Everything is all right now. It is? Well, you mean he... Yeah. I shouldn't have gone out if I'd stayed home. You he... could do nothing. It's the way. What way? Always for the living, there, there must be the dead. Why, Fritz? He was so small. Yeah, it's not the size or the age. There's no method in it at all. It's not for us to decide. Yeah, I take him now. I take care of everything. What are you going to do? No, no, don't tell me. I don't want to know. It will be the best that way. That's the other one. I guess he doesn't know. Well, he knows, perhaps. <laughs> he smells the fish. I don't want him now. You take the other kitten, too, Fritz. Give him to Bertha. Oh, no. You'll be wanting no, him. No, I don't want anything. It's, it's safer not to want anything. I've learned that much already. But Mrs. Norton, he cries for you. And he's alive yet. It's for the living one must live. Until? Yeah, until. And then there, there are always others. And I go now. Uh, there, sir, she will come up. I, I'm all right, thanks. Fritz. Uh, yeah, Mrs. Norton. Thanks for having been here. Oh, I am glad. And you will see, with things like this, we cannot fight. And always, there are things like this. <laughs> Let me see who it is, please. Open this door. Put I'll... your face up. All I can see is the tip of your nose. I don't recognize it. You'll recognize it, all right. <gasps> is that a nice way to ask permission to come in? What's the password? Claudia, darling, it's the end of a long day. I'm tired. That's better. Well, now that I know you're the dashing, harmless Mr. Norton, come on in. Well, David... You know, I thought it was you. You did, huh? Mm-hmm. Oh, you're never satisfied. This morning when I opened the door without the chain, I got a long lecture about it. You should be locked up. Say, you've got a funny look on your face. You're not very original. You said that this morning, too. Well, this is a different funny look. Oh. You're much too gay. Oh, I just can't please you. This morning my eyes were red. Tonight this something... There is wrong. something fishy about all this. <gasps> Can you smell it all the way out here? And I don't mean fish. Oh... Now, try and answer me like a human being. Huh, that's a lovely thing to call your favorite wife. What is? Merely a human being. I haven't seen you all day. Since one o'clock. Then you come home, and the best you can do is call me a human being. You're right. I apologize. You're not a human being. I'm not. No resemblance at all. Then what have you got nicer to say I am? You are half wood sprite, half she-devil, and half magpie. It can't be. Why not? That's three halves, David. Nothing's three halves. <laughs> you are. There's a lot more to you than meets the eye. Oh, now you're being really sweet. I will not be called really sweet. I feel anything but. Tell me, how does it feel to feel like anything but? Oh, not bad. Not bad? I wish I felt like anything but. Darling, uh, sit on my lap a minute. Say, did I tell you about the little man at the fish store? What about him? Well, I went in about the fish. I didn't know what kind to get, so... 
You know, David, fish stores are pretty exciting places when you're accustomed to the butcher, don't you think? I mean, in a fish store, people sort of have something in common. The uh, fish? No, no, it's more than that. I, I, I sort of get a feeling when I buy a fish that I never get when I buy a steak. I don't even know where a steak comes from. <laughs> from a steer, you dope. Oh, I know it comes from something, but I mean, it's this little part of that something has no personality. But a fish, there you really got something, all of it. You can even look it right in the eye. Do you always look your fish in the eye before you buy it? Always. There it is, resting elegantly on a bed of cracked ice, perfectly self-satisfied, absolutely unblinking and disinterested. You know where you stand with a fish, because there it is in person. There are no bones about it. <laughs> there are plenty of bones in a fish, none in a steak, but uh, what about the little man? What about him? Oh, yes, well, he wanted to sell me a filet of sole or halibut, but... I bought a mackerel. The whole fish or no fish at all? Oh, so much personality in a mackerel. This one, David, was positively magnetic. And? And what? And then what? Then nothing. That's all there is to it. Fascinating. The story of a magnetic mackerel. <laughs> Look, darling, relax. I am relaxed. I'm so relaxed I've got the giggles. <laughs> you're, you're not kidding me. Now, come on now. Tell me what's happened since I saw you. I was telling you. Well, that's not what I meant, and you know it. I know it. The kitten died, David, while I was out with the mackerel. Darling, I'm... I'm sorry. So am I. Why didn't you call me? Well, I... I, I thought I'd wait till you got home. You know, in a way, I was glad you weren't here, David. Gave me a little time. Where is he? Fritz took him. Darling, I... I bought those kittens, brought them home to make everything easier, not harder. I know you did, darling. And I'm... I'm sorry. Don't be sorry. Well, I... I am because, in a way, it's... It's my fault they were too young. I was too young this morning, too. Say, Fritz was a farmer, did you know? He was? Mm-hmm. I suppose when you're a farmer, you... You're going to learn an awful lot about things, too, like Fritz. Yes, you do. From the start to the finish, there's a lot of living that goes on and working the land. You're going to make a wonderful farmer, David, just like Fritz. That's a, that's a very, very nice compliment. Claudia, hmm? would you like me to return the other kittens? Now, come on, come on, come on. Don't be ashamed to say so. I'm only Papa. No, Papa. You were awfully smart to buy a spare, darling. You should see how much milk the spare drank this afternoon. <laughs> remarkable, remarkable. You wait and see. He's going to grow up to be the world's most outstanding cat. I'd say he would probably be the uh, chairman of the back fence. How's that? <laughs> Very good. <laughs> you know, darling, even if you put eight chains on eight doors before letting anyone in, you, you still wouldn't be a sissy. Well, then it's all right for me to open the door. But if I ever catch you doing it, I will break every bone in your body. Oh, David, how wonderful. You really love me as much as that? All story material used on this broadcast of Claudia was under the supervision of Rose Franken and William Brown Maloney. Getting ready to go to market, 
Then put this hint in the back of your mind. Pause where you see that familiar red cooler and have an ice-cold Coca-Cola. Then you can shop refreshed. And remember the family likes refreshment, too. So have your grocer or your service station attendant put a case of Coca-Cola in your car. There's plenty of Coke again. Keep it on ice for your family and your friends. Every day, Monday through Friday, Claudia comes to you transcribed with the best wishes of your friendly neighbor who bottles Coca-Cola. So listen again tomorrow at the same time. And now this is Joe King saying au revoir and remember. Whoever you are, whatever you do, wherever you may be, when you think of refreshment, think of Coca-Cola. For ice-cold Coca-Cola makes any pause the pause that refreshes. Super Stick Adhesive. Remember, only Johnson & Johnson makes Band-Aid brand. I am stuck on Band-Aid, Band-Aid on me. Mother, is Maxwell House the best coffee in the whole world? Well, your father says so, and your father knows best. It's Father Knows Best, transcribed in Hollywood, starring Robert Young as father. A half-hour visit with your neighbors, the Andersons. Brought to you by Maxwell House, the coffee that's bought and enjoyed by more people than any other brand of coffee at any price. Maxwell House, always good to the last drop. A wondrous gift I bring to thee, bright as a star in a velvet sky, light as a moonbeam dancing by, and I call my gift contentment. It's raining in Springfield. It's been raining, as a matter of fact, for the past three days. In the white frame house on Maple Street, close confinement has sharpened nerves to a razor's edge, and tension mounts precariously with each falling raindrop. Dramatic, isn't it? Go ahead, Kathy. Wait a minute. Kathy, I'll trade you Indiana Avenue and the electric company for Marvin Gardens. I don't want Marvin Gardens. Daddy. Yes, Kathy. How many do I need for the B&O Railroad? Five. I hope you get a ten and land in jail. Bud. Well, she's got all the other railroads now. Bud, if you and Betty can't be good sports about it... Father, I don't mind losing, but she gets the boardwalk and park place every game, and what fun is it? Well, what do you know? Five. <laughs> All right, bud. Give her the other railroad. 
Here's $200, bud. Put another house on the boardwalk. You can't put any more houses on the boardwalk. You've got a hotel now. Well, why cannot, Father? She doesn't know any more about this game than a rabbit. I do, too. You do not. I do, too. Nothing I like more than a nice, quiet game of Monopoly. I do, too. Rain. Three whole days, and all it does is... All right, bud. What? It's your turn. Oh. Where am I? North Carolina Avenue. Don't roll a seven, buddy. You'll land on the boardwalk. Kathy. I told him not to, Daddy. Four. Well, that's more like it. It put you on chance. I hope I go to jail and stay there the rest of the game. Uh, bud. Yes, Dan? It says, advance token to boardwalk. Oh, no. $2,000. But I'm afraid... Jim! Hmm? Jim! What is it, Margaret? What's the matter? Jim, come up here quickly. I'll be right up, honey. Bud! I have to go upstairs. You owe me $2,000. Send him a bill. Daddy! Not now, Kathy. What's wrong, Margaret? Jim, look at the ceiling. It's ruined. Chupanji, Hossifus. We forgot to empty the buckets. All over the wall and the rug. Come on, bud. Boy, what a mess. How about my $2,000? Don't worry, Mother. Father will fix it. Good grief, the whole attic. Boy, what a mess. Well, don't stand there. Do something. Uh, open the window. Okay. Margaret, send the girls up here with some mops. Margaret! I heard you did. Well, why didn't you say something? And tell them to hurry up. Water all over everything. Some mess, huh, Dad? <laughs> just stand out of the way, bud. I've got to empty these buckets. Want me to help? Of course not. I just brought you along to keep me company. Well, all I said was... Come on, bud. Grab a bucket. Don't stand there. Well, you just told me... Grab a bucket! Holy cow. The worst rain in 20 years, and it has to come when there's a hole in the roof. Bud, throw it out the window. That's what I did. I ask you to do a simple thing like dump a bucket of water out of a window, and you can't even do that right. Well, gosh, it was heavy, Dad, and I only spilled a couple of drops. Now grab another bucket and stop talking. Did they all run... Oh, Jim, look at this place. Uh, it's going to be all right, Margaret. Kathy, stop pushing me. Well, I want to see. Now, is that the last one? I think so. All right, close the window. Oh, Jim. Now, wait a minute, Margaret. It isn't going to do any good to cry about it. I asked you to have the roof fixed. I pleaded All with right, you. All right, girls, start mopping. Go ahead, Kathy. What's Mommy crying about? Never mind. Margaret. Oh, honey, listen to me. This rain's got us all on edge. We're nervous and irritable. But we can't let it get us down, can we? Want me to do something, Dad? Yes, put the buckets back where they belong. Okay. Margaret. I hate this house. Margaret. I do. It's old and it's ugly and it's falling apart and I hate every bit of it. Honey, you're just tired. I know it isn't any fun being cooped up here for three days, but... It was bad enough before, but now... Margaret, there isn't anything that can't be fixed. I've been telling you for years that I wasn't big enough for us. We need another bathroom and more closets and another bedroom. We've been all through that, Margaret, and this isn't the time... It certainly is the time. Look at this place. I'm ashamed to have our friends see it. Well, we just won't let them come up into the attic, that's all. 
Jim, this is not the time for jokes. I can't think of a better time. How are you doing, Betty? We're practically finished. I'm hungry. Well, as soon as we get through up here, we'll go down to a nice hot dinner. Then we'll all feel better. We're going to have hamburgers. Again? Bud Anderson, if you don't like my cooking, you can arrange to eat somewhere else. Margaret. I didn't say anything. All Never I said mind, was... Never mind, Bud. It isn't bad enough that I have to stand over a stove all afternoon. Honey, he didn't mean anything. You're just as bad as he is. <laughs> just because he's your son. Here we go. If it were one of the girls, you wouldn't be so quick to defend them. I wasn't defending him, Margaret. I merely said... The only two girls in the entire neighborhood without new Easter outfits. And you don't even care. I do care. I told you to buy the new clothes for Easter, didn't I? With prices the way they are today? <laughs> Jim Anderson, are you out of your mind? I told you to buy them, and if you didn't want to buy them, why blame it on me? Janie Liggett got a whole new outfit. Don't mention Janie Liggett to me again. There you are. All she has to do is say one word, and you fly off the handle. Because she isn't your son. My son didn't get any new clothes for Easter, did he? You didn't hear him complaining, did you? I don't want any clothes. You see? Patty Davis got a new hat and new coat. Kathy, and... what good are clothes? Just because you don't care how you look. I care as much as anybody, but why throw money away on clothes when he can get a gasoline scooter for but... only... <laughs> I was only going to tell I you... I don't care what you were going to tell me. But I'm practically the only kid in the whole school... The front doorbell rang. I'm practically the only kid in the whole school... Will you please see who's at the door? From here... Go downstairs and see who's at the door A bicycle I'm practically the only kid in the whole school Who doesn't have a joy wagon And I can't even have a gasoline scooter You'd think I was a kid or something Margaret There isn't anything more we can do up here, girls So we'd better go downstairs Go ahead, Kathy I have to tie my shoelace Margaret, I'd like to explain There isn't anything to explain Go ahead, girls. But you don't even know... Jim, please. I'd rather not discuss it right now. Oh, I don't know. One little accident, the whole world is coming to an end. The house is no good, the furniture's no good, I'm no good. No one said anything about the furniture. <laughs> oh, but you agree about me. The furniture's fine, but... Daddy! Keep quiet, Kathy. Betty... You and Kathleen go into the bathroom and get ready for dinner. Okay, Mother. Come on, Button Face. Who's a Mutton Face? I said Button Face. Oh. Margaret. I'd better get started on the hamburgers if you and your son have no objections. You know the way Bud loves hamburgers. He'll eat them until he's sick. Bud has never gotten sick on my hamburger. <laughs> Honey, what's gotten into you? I've never seen you like before. Well, if you had rain dripping down on your ceiling for three days... But it is my ceiling. That's what I've been trying to tell you. It's as much my ceiling and my house as it is yours. Then why don't you take a little pride in it? Oh, Margaret, for the love of Pete. Dad. But I'm talking to your mother. There's a man here who wants to know if he can use the phone. Well, tell him to come in. Don't keep him out there in the rain. Would you like to come in? Well, thank you very much, son. I hate to barge in on you folks like this. Having a little trouble? No, not trouble exactly. Can't rightly call a little thing like this trouble. Just got a little water in the distributor, I think. Bud, why don't you close the door? Well, Ma'am, if you don't mind, 
Would it be all right if we left it open? I got my young'uns out in the car, and if you close the door... You mean they... your family's out there in the rain? Well, what family I got. Just Betsy and little Skip. But you don't have to worry about... Jim, we can't let them stay outside. Of course not. But... Mister, we're being an awful bother the way it is. I don't want Bud, you... put on your raincoat and rubbers. If and... it's all right to bring them in, you won't have to bother about fetching them. Well, naturally, it's all right. That's sure neighborly of you. Betsy! We're okay, Pa. Stick Skipper's hat on and bring him in. Okay. Ah, she's a good girl, Betsy. Only eight, but she's got a head on her. Bud, see if you can't help them. Never mind, Bud. I'll go. Jim, put your coat on. I'll be all right. Hello there, Betsy. Hi. Come on, little fella. There, I've got you. Sure, wait a minute. <laughs> Skipper, don't say ain't. Uh, one more second and we'll be inside where it's nice and warm. Our car's busted. Here we are. Pa, Skipper said ain't. Oh, you poor angels, you're wringing wet. They'll be all right, ma'am. Been wet lots of times before. Betsy. Bud, run upstairs and get some blankets. Okay. And tell Kathy to bring down her slippers. You bet, Dad. Honey, don't you think they could use a little warm milk? I certainly do. <laughs> Betsy, honey, let's mind our manners. I can't help it, Pa. Skipper wants to know if this is heaven. <laughs> Maybe now Margaret won't think her house is so bad after all. Young Skipper sounds even more convincing than father. But more often than not, ladies, the head of the house is the one whose opinion you value most. And that's certainly true about coffee. Fact is, your husband is the world's greatest coffee expert. Yes, the one who knows most about truly good coffee is that man of yours. Of course, we're called experts, too. More people do buy our Maxwell House coffee than any other brand. But when you serve the coffee, there's only one expert you care about, your husband. And tomorrow, if you'll fill his cup with Maxwell House, we promise he'll smile and say, Wonderful. Best coffee I ever tasted. We're sure he'll say that. So sure we'll give you back your money if he doesn't. You see, no other coffee has that same good-to-the-last-drop flavor. Because that flavor can come only from the famous Maxwell House recipe. It's a very particular recipe, demanding certain fine coffees blended just so. And this recipe belongs to Maxwell House alone. No other coffee is made like Maxwell House. That's why no other coffee tastes like Maxwell House. Tomorrow, take home a pound of our coffee. Pour a cup of Maxwell House for your husband. If he doesn't say, best coffee ever, send... We'll return every penny you paid. Our address is right on every familiar blue tin. Fair enough. Then start serving your husband coffee with the world's most famous flavor, our Maxwell House. Always good to the last drop. There's one thing you've got to hand to the philosophers. They're pretty philosophical and smart, too. Take, well, take Socrates, for example. He said, if all our misfortunes were laid in one common heap, whence everyone must take an equal portion, most people would be content to take their own and depart. That makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? It does to the Andersons anyway, like this. Another cup of coffee, Mr. Matthews? 
Mr. Matthews? I'm sorry. Matt, how about another cup of coffee? Why, that'd be fine. Thank you. There you go. No reason why you and the kids can't stay here tonight. Well... We can uh, find room for them, can't we, Margaret? Of course. It's mighty nice of you folks. And don't think I don't appreciate it. Well, then it's all settled. Betty! No, Mr. Anderson, mm -hmm. please. We've got to be in Plainville tonight or I won't have a job. Did you call me, Father? Uh, never mind, Betty. We're almost through with the dishes. That's fine, dear. Of course, it's only for two weeks, but I promised the man I'd be there, and I reckon he's counting on me. Uh, tell me, Matt, would you be interested in a permanent job uh, around here? My husband's in the insurance business, and he knows a lot of people, and I'm sure if he talked to them... You know, it's like I used to tell Mary, that was my wife, if there's one thing you can count on in this world, it's people. Don't know how the world would get along without them. <laughs> That's a very interesting observation, but, uh, look, Matt, you can't keep traveling around with those two kids. It isn't fair to them. This business of working in Middletown one week and then going to Plainville for two more... Mr. Anderson, there's one thing you don't seem to understand. We're not just traveling. We're going somewhere. But we've got to earn a living as we go, so it takes us longer than it does most folks. That's all. Well, you don't have to go to Arizona, do you? No, I suppose not. Doctor just says I'll live a little longer out there is all. Oh. Well, you didn't say... We'll just keep moving along, little by little. We'll get there. I'm sure you will. Get me a little farm, like the one we just had washed away, maybe. Understand they don't wash away in Arizona. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, wasn't there something you could salvage? Some equipment or stock or something? Well, tell you the truth, there wasn't much to save. We had a lot of bills when the... Well, no sense bothering you folks with any more troubles. That sure was a wonderful dinner, Miss Anderson. <laughs> Thank you, Matt. Say, Dad. Well, the mechanical genius returns. How'd you make out, bud? You know what was wrong? The whole ignition system was wet, and I fixed it. No. Well, isn't that wonderful? I ran an extension out to the car and I hooked up the vacuum cleaner. Bud, you didn't take my good vacuum cleaner. Margaret. I mean, how could you possibly fix Mr. Matthew's car with a vacuum cleaner? It was easy. I put the blower attachment on it and, boy, you should have seen those wires dry out. Now, I call that real smart. I wouldn't have thought of that in a thousand years. I don't think anyone would. <laughs> Except Bud. And you don't have to worry about the vacuum cleaner, either. Kathy's rubbing oil on it. That'll be nice. <laughs> I better go see that she does a good job. That's what I like about a family. Everybody pitching in and helping. Huh? Oh, better round Skipper up, Betsy. We'll be leaving in a minute. Okay. Hey, Skip! Say, I've got an idea. Why don't you leave the kids here for a few days? Oh, I don't think... That's a wonderful idea, Jim. They don't have to be in Plainville tonight. Why don't you, Matt? Well, I never thought of being away from my kids, but it won't be for long, just until the weather clears up. There's lots of room for them. This is a big house, you know. It sure is. Biggest one I've ever been in. Prettiest, too. I'm not surprised that Skipper thought it was heaven. Oh, Jim. Well, how about it, Matt? Will you let them stay? Well, well, if it's all right with them, it's all right with me. Good. Betsy! We're washing Skipper's face, Daddy. We'll have him ready in a couple of minutes. 
Bring him in here, Betsy. We want to talk to you. Okay. I mean, yes, sir. Mother, that skipper's the cutest thing you ever saw. He's got jam on his face from here clear down to... What's the matter, Mother? Nothing, dear. Not a thing. Mr. Matthews is going to let the children stay with us for a few days. What do you think of that? Creepers, that'll be wonderful. We can move Bud down to the dam. All right, we'll take care of that when the time comes. And Matthew won't have to worry about a thing. Oh, I know that. They can spend Easter with us, and then sometime next week, we'll all take a little ride over to Plainville. Daddy, look at Skipper. Oh, <laughs> Kathy, what have you done to that poor child? It's Bud's old cowboy suit. Oh. Well, hop along, <laughs> Skipper himself. He's a real cowboy, isn't he, Betsy? He's something. <laughs> pa, he got under the jam, and he spread it Skipper. all over the... I'm a cowboy, and I'm going to shoot everybody dead. I'm sure sorry, folks. Betsy, I told you to watch him. I know, Pa, but I was drying the dishes. It isn't anything to worry about, Matt. Kathy, take that silly-looking hat off him. He can't see. <laughs> I'm going to shoot engines, too. <laughs> Betsy, I've been talking to your father, and uh, how would you and Skipper like to stay with us for a few days? Daddy! You mean, without Pa? Shoot him dead in the mouth. Mr. Anderson's talking to you, too. Are they really going to stay here, Daddy? Really? Be quiet, Kathy. Oh, Betsy, please say you'll do it. We'll have such a lot of fun. Pa? Yes, honey? Who's going to take care of you? Now, just a minute. I took care of myself long before you came along. Ma said you never took care of yourself good. He'll get along fine, Betsy. We just thought... We'd like very much to have you, dear. You and Skipper would have your own room, and you wouldn't be out in that horrible rain. Pa, do you want us to stay here? It's only for a few days, honey. But I don't want you to do something that you don't want to do. I want you to make up your own mind. I made it up. Well, that's fine. We'll keep going with Pa. <laughs> Gee whiz. Betsy, I'd like to explain to you. Won't do any good explaining to that child. Once her mind's made up, it's made up. May I try? Why, sure. Go right ahead. Betsy, don't you like us? I like you fine. You can play with all my toys, and I'll teach you how to play the piano. Now, wait a minute, Kathy. Let's not... Oh, but do... I will. Oh, Betsy, please say you'll stay. We have to go with Pa. To shoot engines. Betsy, it's very cold and nasty outside. And if you stay here, we'll build a big fire in the fireplace and we'll toast marshmallows. I have to take care of my Pa. But, darling... Margaret, leave the child alone. She knows what she wants to do. I want to stay here. Betsy! All my life, I wanted to stay in a house like this with electric lights and a piano. Honey... But they don't mean much if you haven't got your folks. And Pa's all the folks we've got left. Well, that uh, takes care of that. Come on, Skipper. We better get your coat on. I'll take care of it, Mr. Matthews. Come on, Skip. Do I have to take off the cowboy suit? <laughs> no, dear. That's yours to keep. Oh, boy! Gonna kill all the engines in the world! Daddy, do they have sidewalks in Arizona? I suppose so. Where are you going? I'll be right back. Jim, if Bud hasn't really fixed the car... Oh, I think he has, ma'am. It was just a little wet. Bud? I'll be right in, Dad. Betsy, I have a coat that's much too small for Kathy, and I'll bet it'll fit you just right. Pa, 
Well... It'll be an Easter present, won't it, Jim? Say, Matt, I wonder if you'd do me a favor. I've got a raincoat that's always been too tight across the shoulders for me, and I was thinking that if you'd take it off my hands, I uh, could get one that'd fit me. I was a stranger. Thou didst feed me. I'm sorry I didn't hear that. Nothing. I was just thinking. Hey, Mom, what happened to the jam? It's all... Well, where's everybody going? The Matthews have to leave, dear. Gosh, what for? I was going to show Skip Will you get our... Kathy's blue coat like a good boy? I'm sure it'll fit Betsy perfectly. Okay. But gosh, why can't they stay till it stops raining? Betsy! You sure you wouldn't want to stay here in Springfield? I can't think of any place I'd rather stay, but we'd better be going. Betsy, as long as you won't stay here. I can't take your skates. Oh, sure you can. My daddy says they've got sidewalks. Can't take them. But if Kathy wants you to. You aren't supposed to take something unless you can give something, are you, Pa? Take them, baby. But I haven't anything to give. We'll give them our love for the rest of our lives. Matt. Well, Skipper's all set. How does he look? Betty. He wouldn't let me take the guns off, so I had to put the coat over them. Oh. <laughs> We're going to Arizona. I know, darling. Is this the one, Mom? That's it, dear. Come on, Betsy, let's try it on. Well, while we're trying coats on, slip into this, Matt. Folks, see? What did I tell you? Fits like it was made for you. They tell me it's just the thing they're wearing in Arizona. Uh, thank you very much. There. Now what do you think of our young lady? Isn't it beautiful, Pa? It looks much prettier on you than it... It looks beautiful. Well, if... We're going to get to Plainville tonight. Good luck to you, Matt. And thanks for stopping by. Won't even try to say thank you. Wouldn't know how. Take care of your pa, Betsy. I will. And keep Skipper good and warm. Shoot a few Indians for me, Skip. Okay. And when you get to Arizona, send us a postcard. We'll write you a long letter, won't we, Beth? Bye, Kathy. Goodbye. Father. I know what you're going to say, Betty, and you don't have to. Does that apply to me as well? Sure, I'm in a noble mood. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye. Bye. 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 Well, that takes care of that. Jim, if they break down again... It's all right, honey. I put some money in the coat pocket. I hope she likes my skates. Gosh, those poor kids. They aren't poor, bud. Not any of them. But, Father... They don't have a house, and they don't have a lot of money... But they aren't poor. Then why did I give her my skates? That isn't what your father means, Angel. But he said... We gave the Matthews food and coats and skates. But they gave us something far more wonderful, kitten. They gave us one another. groceries, you'll probably buy the coffee you'll serve your family all next week. And first and foremost, you'll be looking for flavor, the most in flavor for your money. So make it a point to get the one coffee at your grocer's that's famous for flavor above all other brands, our Maxwell House coffee. Yes, take home a tin of Maxwell House and serve it to the world's greatest coffee expert, 
your husband. When he breaks into a smile at the first sip and tells you, best coffee ever, you'll know it's Maxwell House for flavor. Then just count all the truly good cups you get from each pound. You'll be convinced it's Maxwell House for value, too. At your grocer's, then, look for the friendly blue tin with the big white cup and drop. Take home Maxwell House, coffee that's always good to the last drop. It's midnight now, and the white frame house on Maple Street is peaceful and quiet. The children are fast asleep, but not Margaret and Jim. They're, well, it's really Jim's fault, like this. Jim? It's all right, honey. Go back to sleep. Why aren't you in bed? I just went in to see if the children were all right. Are they? They're fine. Jim, if you're going to stand in the window, please put your robe on. <sighs> now what is it? Well, I've been thinking about the Matthews, that's all. They'll be all right, won't they? <laughs> of course they will. I was just wondering if I shouldn't have put a little more in the coat pocket. What did you put in? Ten dollars. It was all I had. Jim. Yes, dear. I put ten in the other pocket. <laughs> Say, Margaret. Yes, dear. It stopped raining. It has? Isn't that beautiful? All the stars are out. <laughs> serve a hot cereal at breakfast time, do you hear this? I don't want any old cereal. When you'd rather hear this? Mmm, good, Mommy. Well, to get your children to eat a hot cereal in the morning, get them Post Wheat Meal. Just tell them Post Wheat Meal is Hopalong Cassidy's favorite hot cereal, and they'll eat it too. Post Wheat Meal is chock full of solid whole wheat nourishment, has a wonderful nut-like flavor, and it cooks in three and a half minutes. You'll see, you'll all agree... It's the best hot cereal you ever ate. Join us again next week when we'll be back with Father Knows Best, starring Robert Young as Jim Anderson, with Roy Barkey and the Maxwell House Orchestra. In our cast were June Whitley as Margaret, Rhoda Williams, Ted Donaldson, Norma Jean Nilsson, Howard Culver, Stuffy Singer, Sheila James, and yours truly, Bill Foreman. So until next Thursday, good night and good luck from the makers of Maxwell House, America's favorite brand of coffee. Always good to the last drop. Father Knows Best was transcribed in Hollywood and written by Ed James. Now stay tuned in for Dragnet, which follows immediately over most of these stations. Enjoy exciting Dragnet with more good times on NBC. And I'm proud I used to be alone in a crowd But now you look around these days There seems to be a Dr. Pepper craze I'm a pepper, he's a pepper, she's a pepper We're a pepper, wouldn't you like to be a pepper too? I'm a pepper, he's a pepper, she's a pepper If you drink Dr. Pepper, you're a pepper too Us peppers are an interesting breed An original 
Taste is what we need. Ask any pepper and it'll say. Only Dr. Pepper tastes that way. I'm a pepper, he's a pepper, she's a pepper. We're a pepper, wouldn't you like to be a pepper too? I'm a pepper, he's a pepper, she's a pepper. We're a pepper, wouldn't you like to be a pepper too? Ladies and gentlemen, the secret word tonight is bread. B-R-E-A-D. Really? You bet your life! The DeSoto Plymouth Dealers of America present Groucho Marx in You Bet Your Life. The comedy quiz series produced and transcribed from Hollywood. And here he is, the one, the only... Groucho! Hey, that's me, Groucho Marx, the Queen of the May. (laughs) Thank you. Well, here I am again with $1,500 for one of our couples. George Fenneman, who's first? We invited some girl gas station attendants and some hot rod drivers to the program. And just before we went on the air, our studio audience selected Miss Dorothy Donata and Don Stedman. And here they are. Folks, meet Groucho Marx. Welcome, kids, for the DeSoto Plymouth Dealers. And if you say the secret word, you'll split $100 in cash between you. It's a common word, something you see every day. A hot rod driver and a girl service attendant, eh? Dorothy Donata? I presume you're the girl service attendant? Yes, I am, sir. I thought so. You're wearing pumps, that's why. Where are you from, uh, Dorothy? Oh, I'm from the beer and pretzel capital of the world, Reading, Pennsylvania. Oh. <laughs> There's a drunk in the first row. Huh? <laughs> and uh, Don uh, Stedman, you're the hot rod driver. Where, where, where are you from? Hot Springs? No, sir, I'm from uh, the Sooner State, Oklahoma. You both look like fairly new models. Uh, uh, Don, uh, how old are you? Twenty-two. Twenty-two. And what's your age, Dorothy? Twenty-two. You still got the original paint job, huh? (laughs) Are you married, Dorothy? No, I'm not. Why not? Oh, I still have time yet. So have I. Shall we dance? (laughs) Why aren't you married, Don? Well... I still got a little ways to go. Well, if you're driving a hot rod, it won't be long before you'll get there. <laughs> How do you go about building one of your highway rockets? Well, uh, uh, well, you rebuild the front end, put in new kingpins and uh, new shocks all the way around, and uh, then you have to change the gears in your differential. You've got to get your manifold. Some of them are running four pots this year. No, what? Some of them are running four pots now. I've been half-potted, but I didn't know... What, what, is, is, what it, is a pot, anyhow? It's a carburetor. Uh, uh, why don't you call it a carburetor? Well, that's just like building a stock car. I see. That would You're too snobbish to call it a car. <laughs> well, what else? Uh, what else do they oh, do? Well, there this? was one fellow that put two front ends, one on the front and one on the back. <laughs> 
Well, what, what is the object of that? That sounds... Uh... Well, you'll have to admit it's different. <laughs> you seem to be more interested in freaks than you are in locomotion. <laughs> uh, Dorothy, uh, how about some service? You've been standing there all this time and you haven't even wiped my windshield. <laughs> Tell me, what do you think of hot rodders? Oh, I think they're swifty. You think they're what? Swifty. Did you know you were swifty? Sure, I knew it. Now, where do you attend your gas pumps, Dorothy? The Gilmore Serve Yourself service station, Beverly oh, Boulevard. I see. thought that's what you, you were there for. To, what do you mean, to save yourself? You just serve yourself. You come in and serve your own gas and wipe your own windshield and check your own oil, and then you pay me. If I'm going to do all that, I'll put the money in my own pocket and leave. Huh? You call that a service station? Mm-hmm. Suppose a woman drives into your station. You make her do all that work? I treat the men and women alike. Well, if you ever expect to get married, you're going to have to revise that policy. <laughs> much, Dorothy, but some, huh? <laughs> What do you girls call yourselves? I'm sure you don't refer to each other as girl uh, gas uh, station attendants, do you? No, we call each other gas jockeys. <laughs> There's a whole new language sprung up. <laughs> I'm completely out of touch with the outside world. <laughs> do you save hot rod drivers? Oh, we certainly do. Well, uh, will you save me one the next time I come in there? <laughs> now, how much gas does the average hot rod driver buy? Well, it all depends how much money they have in their pockets. We had one come in today that bought three cents worth. <laughs> well, can he get out of the station with three cents worth? <laughs> what do you do, drop it in his ear? <laughs> Don, how far can you get on three cents worth of gas? I've never been that cheap. I, at least I've ever... Well, let's ever assume that you were broke, not necessarily cheap. Let's say you were broke and only had three... How far would you go in your car? Well, I bought five cents worth and I got... You wouldn't be so cheap to buy three cents. <laughs> what about four cents worth? <laughs> Nothing under a nickel, huh? Okay, how far do you get on a nickel's worth of gas? Oh, well, I almost got home. <laughs> you mean all the way to Oklahoma? Now, uh, how fast can one of your hot rods uh, travel, uh, Don? Well, if you push it, it should go between... <laughs> no, I mean if you're inside the car. <laughs> this is where the nickel's where the gas, I guess. No, when I mean push it, I mean you got your foot in the carburetor. Everything you say has another meaning. <laughs> How fast did you say you could go? Well, most of them are... I won't say if they push it. Most of them... You can say it again if you want. 
I'm, I'm inured to everything now. <laughs> if you push it, um, they go from between 120 to 160. Mm-hmm. Well, where do you drive 150 miles an hour? And where are you going? <laughs> and what's your hurry? Well, we're uh, racing against the clock at Lake El Mirage. Does the clock run alongside of you? <laughs> We're racing against time. Oh, time. Right? Well, He's kind of cute at that. Dorothy, do you like him? Sure, I do. <laughs> Very much. Well, I like him too, Dorothy. <laughs> Don, you'll have to choose between us. <laughs> I'm not going to do very well, I can tell you. Dorothy, I think you'd be perfectly safe going on a ride with Don here. After all, at 150 miles an hour, he has to keep both hands on the steering wheel. <laughs> Isn't that right, Dad? Uh... No, not necessarily. <laughs> well, if the girl you take out isn't an angel, she will be by the time you get back. <laughs> when you see me crossing the street, all I ask is just stop and wait for about 20 minutes, huh? <laughs> Until I'm safely on the other side. <laughs> how, how carefully do you drive down well, most of the, the guys that drive roadsters are, 90% of them are very careful. They take pride in their cars and they drive them safe, and mechanically they are A1. We're now trying to get them off the streets from racing by driving it, having the races up at El Mirage, and they're racing against time only, and the cars are in perfect condition, and uh, that's about it. Well, my advice for you is to take your car into your nearest DeSoto Plymouth dealer. <laughs> As a matter of fact, I think during the last war it was proven that many of the best airplane pilots were kids who had been driving hot rods. Well, only let me know when you're coming down my street. Will you? <laughs> now that we've discussed the hot rod situation, let's see how well you two make out in the quiz. Now, in just one minute, you're going to play your bet your life for a chance at the $1,500 question. The best in service at a fair price. That's what the DeSoto Plymouth Dealers of America offer you when you take your car to any of them for service, no matter what make of car you drive. These DeSoto Plymouth Dealers believe in giving every customer a fair deal. This fair deal consists of expert mechanics working with the best tools and equipment to give you an efficient job every time. Also, a desire on the part of every dealer to treat you courteously and to charge you a fair price. It's easy to see. A DeSoto Plymouth dealer wants you for a steady and satisfied customer. So next time your car needs attention, won't you stop in at the sign of an authorized DeSoto Plymouth dealer? And remember, all dealers who sell DeSoto also sell Plymouth. Now, let's see if you two will get a chance at the $1,500. Fenneman, tell them the rules. Each of our three couples has $20. They bet as much of that 20 as they want on each of four questions. The couple that earns the most money gets a chance at the DeSoto Plymouth $1,500 question at the end of the show. Our other two couples are in a waiting room off stage, so they don't know what's happening out here. Here we go. Let's see how high I can build you $20. You selected songs by Rogers and Hart as your category, right? Here's your first question. How much of the 20 will you try? Ten. 
Now, what is the title of this song? Play, Jerry. What is it? Blue Moon, Blue Moon is right. And they're on their way with $30. Now, how much of the 30 will you bet? Fifteen. $15. What is the title of this one? $45. All right, you got $45. Here's your third question. How much of the $45? $40. $40. Give me the title of this one. Okay, Jerry. This can't be love. This can't be love. This is correct. They're really fighting now. They have $85. All right, you're right back in that hot rod now. Is your last chance to beat the other couples? How much of the $85? Seventy dollars. Seventy dollars. Seventy dollars. Let's see if you can identify this song. And then my heart stood still. My heart stood still is right. And they wind up with a grand total of one hundred and fifty-five dollars. Thanks and good luck from the DeSoto Plymouth dealers. Stick around now. You may get the chance at the big question. Groucho, the secret word is still bread. I know that, George. Well, perhaps the next couple will say it. I know that, too. We invited some tax assessors to the show and I just... didn't know that. Oh. <laughs> and just before we went on the air, our studio audience selected one of them, Mrs. Helen Carr. Her partner, Mr. Bill Redding, is a married man from the audience. And here they come, folks. Meet Groucho Mark. Welcome to your Bet Your Life. And if you say the secret word, you'll split $100 in cash. It's a common word, something you see every day. A tax assessor, eh? Uh, that's you, Mr. Redding? No. No, I'm a hotel clerk. <laughs> I thought you said you were a tax assessor. No, you just said that. Oh, is that where I heard it, huh? <laughs> then uh, you're a tax assessor, Mrs. Uh, Helen Carr? Yes, I am. How long have you two been married? Oh, I'm, not, uh, I'm not married to him, no. Well, don't come running to me with your trouble. <laughs> Aren't you ashamed, Mr. Reddick, breaking up a happy home like hers? No, I just met her a few minutes ago. <laughs> Fast worker, eh? <laughs> Where are you from, you rascal, you? <laughs> Mr. Reddy, where are you from? Well, I'm from uh, College View or Peanut Hill, Nebraska. That's a suburb just outside of Lincoln. I didn't know Lincoln had any suburbs. <laughs> and where, where are you from, Mrs. Carr? Originally Boone, Iowa. Boone, is that named after Daniel Boone? Uh, Boone yes, or? it is. Named after Daniel Boone. Yeah. Do you know what he was famous for? Well, no, I don't. He had a coonskin cap. There's a man spent his whole life as a hero, and he wound up being identified as a fellow who wore a coonskin cap. Huh? When I die, I'll be known as an old mustache, I suppose. How long have you been married, uh, Mr. Reddick? Oh, about uh, 31 or 32 years. Mm -hmm. How did you meet this poor misled wife of yours? Well, I was, at the time, I was a night clerk, and I used to, uh, I had an Excelsior motorcycle. This particular morning, while I was rushing home, and just as I 
scooted around the corner while she was stooping over to set down a pail of garbage. It's a very romantic meeting. So. Uh, I landed up uh, mixed up with the garbage and with, uh, with an injured knee, and it took me about two weeks before I was able to ride the motorcycle again, and... Uh, during that intermission, why she used to come around and sit on my on the front porch. And... That's known as a Freudian slip. I used to know a girl who wore one of those. Huh? Now, Mrs. Carr, isn't it unusual for a woman to be a tax assessor? Oh no, six out of seven of us are women. What is the other one, a giraffe? <laughs> Now, as a, a tax uh, deputy, what are your duties? I uh, go around the county door to door taking statements for personal property. Just what is personal property? Huh? Personal property is anything you own or use. That's the broadest statement I ever heard. <laughs> you mean I have to pay a tax on my neighbor's shower? <laughs> Well, I use it all the time. <laughs> now, Mrs. Carr, pretend I'm a housewife and you're making a routine call. Now, go ahead and ask me the usual questions. Well, good morning. Uh, I want to take your statement. Do you have any real estate? I have a 50-foot lot. Continue. Uh, how, how deep is it? It's about 30 feet deep. Uh, <laughs> that's only at high tide. Go on. Do you own any? Any personal property? Furniture, yeah. All the furniture, furniture in my living room is new. We got it, it by is... sending in soap coupons. Well, what do you have in the other rooms? I have three million bars of soap. Huh? <laughs> well, I can't clean that time. Huh? Well, now that I know all about tax assessments, let's see how well you two are going to make out with your bet your life. Now, you run your $20 into more than the other couples, and you get a chance at the $1,500 DeSoto Plymouth question. I can't tell you how much our first couple won, but Fenneman is off stage to remind our listeners. The hot rod driver and the girl gas attendant earned $155. Here we go. Let's see how high I can build your $20. You selected pictures on paper money as your category. Is that right? That's correct. Now, here's your first question. How much of the 20 would you try? $10. $10. Whose picture's on the $5 bill? That's, um... Abraham Lincoln. Lincoln, you knew that from Lincoln, Nebraska. They're off to a good start with $30. Well, you got $30. Remember, you're going for $1,500 tonight. Now, how much of the $30 will you bet? We'll bet the whole $30. The whole $30. Whose picture is on the $20 bill? Uh, that's Andrew Jackson. Andrew Jackson is right. Now they have $60. Well, you're really gamblers. Now you got $60. Here's your third question. How much of the $60? You bet the 60. You're going to bet the 60. <laughs> Whose picture is on the $10 bill? Um, that's uh, Alexander Hamilton. Alexander Hamilton. <laughs> They're really climbing now, Groucho. They have $120. Got $120. How much of the $120 are you going to pay? You're going to bet. $120. <laughs> you're going to bet the whole way. Whose picture is on the $1 bill? George Washington. George Washington. And they wind up with a grand total of $240. Thanks, 
thanks and good luck from the DeSoto Plymouth dealers. And I will soon know who gets the chance at the $1,500 question. You know, friends, when you're out driving in a long automobile trip, keep in mind that there are more than 3,000 DeSoto Plymouth dealers from coast to coast. Panama, don't you know when a person's driving a car, he's supposed to keep his mind on the road? Well, then, folks, when you're at home thinking about that trip in your car, Remember, there's a DeSoto Plymouth dealer near you. I can practically feel his hot breath on my spare tire. That's just the warmer weather ahead, Groucho. And it's just one more reason why you should drive in to a DeSoto Plymouth dealer. Touche, Fenneman. Now, let's get back to you bet your life. Who's ahead? Well, the tax assessor and the married man are leading with $240. And the secret word is still bread. We invited some game wardens and some commercial fishermen to the program tonight. And just before we went on the air, our studio audience selected Warden Walter Shannon and fisherman Vince Devlahovich. And here they are. Gentlemen, meet Groucho Marx. Welcome, boys, to the DeSoto Plymouth Dealers. And if you say the secret word, you'll divide $100 in cash between you. It's a common word, something you see every day. A commercial fisherman and a game warden, eh? What is your name? Uh... Devlahovich. Devlahovich, huh? What is that? What is that? Russian? No, that's uh, Yugoslavonia. Yugoslavonia. Huh? Are Are you from uh, Yugoslavia? I was born here, San Pedro. Are you a skipper or a member of the crew? I'm a skipper. A skipper, huh? Could you skip around for me here? <laughs> Did you ever wear a Schiaparelli uh, gown or a no. hat or anything? <laughs> You'd think they'd pay to come in, wouldn't you? <laughs> you're, the, you're the game warden, uh, Mr. Shannon? Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Well, tell yeah. me, warden. This sounds like old times. Can we call you? <laughs> warden, uh, what are your principal duties? Our principal duties are to watch people uh, who are hunting and fishing. Oh, a television fan, eh? <laughs> or as we say in the business, uh, TV. <laughs> that means terrible vaudeville, huh? <laughs> ah, there are still diehards that listen to radio. Huh? <laughs> Why do you watch people fishing and hunting? Uh, haven't you got anything better to do, Mr. Shannon? Uh, to see uh, if they uh, violate the fish and game laws. Well, can't they violate it if you, without you watching them? <laughs> what kind of laws do they vi- violate? They uh, uh, catch and hunt uh, out of season, catch fish out of season, uh, sometimes shoot uh, females. Uh... <laughs> what kind of females? Huh? Such as does, uh, deer. Does females, you mean? <laughs> What do you mean by those females? Uh, and the deer, uh, those uh, females. <laughs> what about them females? Huh? <laughs> or dumb females? That's even more accurate. Huh? Now, Warden, wh- what gives you the most trouble on your job? Uh, as a rule, people uh, hunting and fishing out of season. Uh-huh. Now, when is the deer season? In the southern part of the state here, it runs uh, from... About August 7th to October 15th. Well, how can the deer tell when it's open season? Well, uh, I suppose by uh, the bullets whizzing by. I guess that's true, huh? (laughs) And they know for sure when they see the hunters dropping like flies, too. (laughs) 
mackerel bait around here. <laughs> Where is the best place to catch sardines? And the ocean. <laughs> no, I, I'm, what I meant was, in what part of the ocean do you catch sardines? Offshore of San Diego up to uh, Santa Barbara uh, City. What kind of fish do you catch? Uh, mostly sardines and tuna. Now, how much do you get for your tuna? Well, uh, yeah, the elephant tuna, you get $310 a ton. When we get a load of tuna, which is 90 ton, we uh, split uh, the money. The crew gets 65% of the share, and the boat gets 35%. The boat walks up and asks for it? <laughs> Anything unusual ever happen to you when you're off on one of these fishing trips? Well, yes. Uh, a couple of months ago, uh, <laughs> we were uh, pinched by the game warden in, uh, for... <laughs> well, why did he pinch you? <laughs> well, we were supposed to be fishing in Santa Monica Bay, but... Uh... <laughs> what happened? Well, we paid a fine. Each crew made, each crew member paid a twenty-five dollar fine, and, and the boat pays part of it too. Yes, <laughs> the boat walks right down to the police station. <laughs> That's a very intelligent boat, you know. That. I don't know what you need a crew for at all. <laughs> well, I know all about fishing and hunting. Now let's see how well you two make out in the battle for the fifteen hundred dollar question. You beat the other two couples, and you win the chance at all that money. I can't tell you how much our first couples won, but Fenneman's going to remind our listeners. The tax assessor and the married man are ahead with $240. Here we go. Let's see how high I can build you $20. You selected national parks as your category. Is that right? All right. Now, talk right up into the microphone. How much of the $20 are you going to try? Ten. Ten dollars. Ten $10. And what state is Hot Springs National Park? Arkansas. Arkansas is right. <laughs> All right, Roger, with $30. All right, Remy, going for $1,500 tonight. How much of the 30 will you try? Twenty-five. Twenty-five. And what state is the Everglades National Park? Florida. Florida is correct. <laughs> now they have fifty-five dollars. Fifty-five dollars. Here's your third question. How much of the fifty-five? Fifty. Fifty. In what state is Zion National Park? Utah. Utah is right. <laughs> now they have one hundred and five dollars. Now you got a hundred and five dollars. Here's your last chance to beat the other couples. How much of the hundred and five? Hundred. It's okay with me. Hundred. Okay. In what state is Mammoth Caves National Park? Kentucky. Kentucky is right. And they wind up with a grand total of two hundred and five dollars, and that means the tax assessor and the married man with two hundred forty dollars get the chance at the DeSoto Plymouth fifteen hundred dollar question. <laughs> Is your car ready for the warmer weather? If not, why not stop in now at a DeSoto Plymouth dealer's? To put your car in tip-top condition, your DeSoto Plymouth dealer will give it an engine tune-up. This should be done to prepare your car for the warmer weather ahead. So be sure to stop in at the sign of an authorized DeSoto Plymouth dealer first chance you get. No matter which of the more than 3,000 DeSoto Plymouth dealers you visit for that check tune-up, you can be sure of getting efficient, courteous service at a fair price 
wherever you see the sign of an authorized DeSoto Plymouth dealer. And here is the tax assessor and the married man, a winning couple, all ready for the DeSoto Plymouth $1,500 question, Groucho. Here we go for $1,500. You ready? Yes, sir. I'll give you 15 seconds to decide on a single answer between you, so think carefully and please no help from the audience. Here it is. The Pony Express took nine days to travel from St. Joseph, Missouri, to the Western Terminal. For $1,500, what was the western end of the Pony Express run? What is the answer you two have decided upon? Salt Lake. I, I, I'm, I'm sorry. It's uh, Sacramento, California. So that means the big question next week will be wait $2,000. Well, you lost the big money, but you won $240 in the quiz. Congratulations and thanks to both of you. Bet Your Life is a John Goodell production, transcribed from Hollywood, directed by Robert Dwan and Bernie Smith. Music by Jerry Fielding. Be sure to tune in again next Wednesday night at this time for the Groucho Marx Show, You Bet Your Life, presented by the more than 3,000 DeSoto Plymouth dealers of America. And remember, all dealers who sell DeSoto also sell Plymouth. Two great cars, both products of the Chrysler Corporation. And don't forget, next week, the big question will be worth... $2,000. Well, Bing Crosby's champing at the bed, so good night, folks, and remember, just be sure to see your DeSoto Plymouth dealer. Well, here's a tip from the National Safety Council. Two of the most important rules of the road are courtesy and common sense. This is George Fenneman, signing off for the more than 3,000 DeSoto Plymouth dealers from coast to coast. Music Hall grabbing a shortwave boost to our fighting men all over the world. You know, it's increasingly amazing to me how many ways are granted us to give them a boost. For instance, waste kitchen fats. Certainly nothing to us, but they're a vital ingredient in the manufacture of high explosives. That's the stuff that's rocking our enemies right now, fore and aft. The OPA has now authorized your butcher to pay you two brown points for every pound of fat you save. Two brown points and four cents in cash. That's certainly pretty good pay for helping to win the war. So keep rendering the fat, pouring it into smooth, edged cans and bringing it to your butcher. You collect one brown point for every half to three quarters of a pound, two brown points for three quarters of a pound to a pound and a half, and so on. These points will be good for any meat or fat purchases, so get your fat in. It's vitally important. To waste fat is unforgivable. To waste anything is setting a horrible example. And now, the Goldbergs. 
You know, Molly Goldberg is one of those kind of women who, who doesn't think a job is finished until she's played it out to the very end. It wasn't enough for Molly just to help Orianne and her son by taking them in and keeping them for a while. No, Molly's trying to see to it that Orianne gets a good job or a good business, a way of making a living and making a home for little David. Right now, Molly's idea is that Orianne and Mr. Way go into partnership in the chicken business. Now, of course, Mr. Way doesn't have much of a chance in Lastonbury because his past is dead against him, but with Orianne on the outside making contacts and getting customers while he does the farm work, well, things might work out. Molly hasn't broached her scheme to Orianne just yet, but she's thinking furiously, planning, maneuvering. Listen. Rosalie, so come quickly, darling. The water's standing. Come waiting. And, and bring the soap in a big towel, please. I don't know why that couldn't wait, Mom. Well, why should it wait, darling? Why should it wait? Now I have a minute, so, so come let me shampoo you. Come, dear. I can wash my own hair, Mom. All right, darling. Don't I know you can wash your own hair? Don't, don't I know that? Well, come, darling. One, two, three, and I'll be finished. She wants to be here better, that's right. I'm glad. The house would be very empty without them now. Mm-hmm, very empty. I'm so used to them now. That's very used to them. She's going in the chicken business. She's going to be a partner with Mr. Way. Mr. Way? Mm-hmm. Don't pick up your head. Well, Mr. Way? Mm-hmm. I didn't told her yet. She don't know yet. I have to tell her. Stay, darling. Stay. Stay. Near right. the towel. No, I forgot it. Oh, well, what does she know about the chicken business? Mm-hmm. What does she have to know? She'll only have to get the business from the hotel people to sell the chicken broilers to the hotel. Where's the towel? Sammy, bring a towel down for me. A, a big one, dear. A Turkish one, please. Ben, darling. Ben's now. <laughs> Let me rinse you. Oh, Just a minute. I'm going to put my hand on my head that way. So put my hand on that way. Ben. Ben. Right. <laughs> All right. Wait. Uh, oh. Uh, so. Uh, so. Uh, what? Uh, maybe Orianne won't want it. Why do you mean she wouldn't want it? Why shouldn't she want it? Well, because Mr. Way is... Yes. Yes, dear. Yeah. Thank you very much, dear. Oh, take your phone, family, dear. Come here downstairs. Let me wipe you. Let me wipe Hello? you. Hello? Yes? Yeah, who's the yes? Yes? What's the yes? Oh, for you, Ma. Oh, me? Take it, Ma. I can dry my own hair. Who is this family? Dr. Cater. Uh, local? No, New York. Oh, Dr. Cater Jr. here in New York? Jimmy? I'll make a little wager with somebody. Hello? Yes? There's a nasty fragrance of love in the air. What, Jimmy? Quiet, I I can't hear. Please, it's Dr. Cater. Um, hello? What do you mean that there's a fragrance of love in the air? Please, just what I... Please, silence a moment, period. All right, Ma. Dr. Cater, she's not here at the moment. 
No, she's not here at the moment. Yes. Oh, there is no doctor. There is a... Uh, call back in a few minutes. I'll find her because she's here about someplace. Very well. Goodbye. What is it, Ma? Dr. Kader has a very fine position for Orion. In New York? Yeah, a reception at a hospital she should be. Receptionist, Ma. Whatever she want to do, so she'll do receptionist. Let's be. No. The chicken business, Ma. All right, darling. Whatever she want to do, so what, she'll do. What, what chicken business? Uh, dry your hair over the what, what chicken business? Mr. Way is offering to take Orian into the chicken business. Does she know about it? Not yet. She doesn't know. Dry yourself good, Rosalie, dear. I am, Ma. Uh, family, you go over to Marcus and, and, and Maybe she's over there. Maybe she went over to Martha to help her fix her hat. And I'll walk over to Mike Matricia because Dr. Cage is going to call back in ten minutes. All right, Ma. Uh, go up, Rosalie, darling. Change yourself. You're all wet. All right. Come, Sporty. Leave Sporty in the house, Ma. His nose is dry. Uh, go, go in, Sporty. Your nose is dry. Come go, here, go Sporty. In. Go in. Your nose is dry. Come here. Uh, Rosalie, yeah. should come in in the meantime, don't mention anything, you hear? Because I want to tell her about Mr. Wayne the chicken's personally. You hear me? Uh-huh. Don't talk. All right. Because I want her to make her own incision. Decision. Or let me like you said, Come here, Sporty. Come here. Don't you feel well, huh? Let me, I, I'll feel your nose. Oh, it's all dry. Come here, Sporty. This way. You're getting old, Sporty. Now, don't jump. Down. Oh, oh, oh Mr. Way? Um, excuse me, I, I, I just had my hair washed. <laughs> I think my mother will be right back. She just went out to tell Orianne that Dr. Cato is calling from New York. He has a position for her as a receptionist, and, and my mother doesn't want me to tell her so Orianne can make up her own mind about being partners in the chicken business or, or going to work in New York. So if this telephone call comes in, will you please take it because I'm going upstairs. I'll be right down. You, you stay down, Sporty. You stay this away. Stay down, Sporty. Bye, Come here, fella. Come on. <laughs> Sit up. Shake hands. That's the boy. Will you take the phone, please? And if it's for Dr. Katie, don't back. All right. Hello? Hello? Yes? No, Mrs. Leland hasn't come back yet. Uh, will you tell him to call back? Oh, uh, hello, wait a minute. Uh, here is Mrs. Leland now. Hello? Hello? A call for me? Yes. They hung up. I told him to call back in a little while. What was it? Dr. Cater from New York. Dr. Cater? He has a position for you. Did he tell you that? He told it to Mrs. Goldberg. She's looking for you to tell you the good news. Oh. Is that you, Mrs. Leland? Yes, Rosie. I'll be right down. I think my mother is looking for you. She wants you to make your own decision. Decision about what? You really don't have any decision to make, Mrs. Leland. A receptionist at a hospital is a decent, intelligent job. And you'll be able to be in New York where no one cares who you are or what you are or where you're from. Yes. Dr. Cater seems very interested in your future. Not very. Interested enough to help. Everyone's been very kind to me since I came here with David. Perhaps that's because you make people feel kindly towards you. Well, I'm very glad you got this position open. And I wish you lots of luck with it. Oh, help. I, I'm looking for you. I love you. I'm looking for you. Dr. Cater. Yes, I know. Oh, so to make up your mind, Orion, what would you rather do? I have no choice. A position is a position. Well, you have to make a living. But maybe you can make a living also in the chickens. Chickens? Yes, it is. 
Didn't you mention it, Mr. Vance? Oh, I didn't think it was worthwhile, Mrs. Goldberg. You can't compare what I've got to offer with a good position. The job in the hospital will be certain, easy, interesting. With a good salary or else Dr. Cater wouldn't have bothered to call. And if Mrs. Leland becomes my partner in the chicken business, <laughs> well, it's not the most delicate kind of work. It's not the kind of work for a woman like Mrs. Leland. Or for any woman, for that matter. So, I know if I were Mrs. Leland, that I'd... The, the telephone. I'll take it. Hello? Yes, this is Mrs. Leland. Yes, Dr. Cater? I see. Yes. Yes. Yes, but... I'm sorry. But I can't take it. Well, because... Because I'm going into the chicken business with Mr. Wade. There's something very strange and insistent in the way Orianne continuously refuses Dr. Cater's help. It may mean she dislikes him or likes him, but it doesn't explain why she always defends the ex-convict, ex-swindler, ex-man from another life, Mr. Wade. The Johnson Wax Program. The makers of Johnson's Wax and Johnson's Self-Polishing Glow Coat present Fibber McGee and Molly, written by Don Quinn, with music by the King's Men and Billy Mills Orchestra. The show opens with Liza. often noticed how important floors are in the appearance of a home, it is a fact that mellow, gleaming waxed floors bring out the beauty of everything in the room, adding a rich charm that you can acquire in no other way. Throughout America, there are countless floors that have been made more beautiful every year with genuine Johnson's Wax. Every application of this famous floor wax gives increased protection and beauty. Johnson's Wax gets down into the pores of the wood, seals out dirt, protects the finish against scuffing feet and sharp heels does away forever with tiresome floor scrubbing. There are more than 100 labor-saving uses for Johnson's Wax in your home. It protects and beautifies furniture and woodwork, window sills, parchment lampshades, and leather goods. You'll find these extra uses listed on the familiar red and yellow package of genuine Johnson's Wax. You can buy this wax in either the paste or liquid form, or in the cream wax, specially formulated for furniture and woodwork. Try some tomorrow. National Apple Week has come and gone. So is National Donut Week. But do you know what this is? This is National Gee Whiz, We Positively Gotta Make Out That Christmas Shopping List Today For Sure Week. <laughs> and here at 79 Wistful Vista, pens in hand, wrinkles in brow, and no ideas in mind, we find Fibber McGee and Molly. Oh, for 
goodness sakes, McGee, think. You're not being any help at all on this Christmas list. I'm thinking. You're no such a thing. You're just sitting there drawing little pictures. Well, Dad, rather all deep thinkers draw pictures while they're thinking. Uh... And what you draw shows what kind of a thinker you are. Uh... You see these triangles and circles with the dots in them? That shows that at heart I'm a big business typhoon. You mean tycoon? Tycoon was a ball player with Detroit. That was Ty Cobb, dearie. Well, then what's a typhoon? It's a disease. My sister had typhoon and all her hair came out. That's typhoid. Come to think of it, a typhoon is a big wind. Something like a Toronto. <laughs> oh, so that scribbling of yours proves you're just a big wind, huh? Oh, 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 oh there's Mrs. Uppington. Slice of lemon in the social finger bowl. Yeah. To see her standing there with her head so high, you'd think she only had one chin. Yeah. <laughs> Come in. Don't think she won't. Ah, how do you do, Mrs. McGee? And Mr. McGee? <laughs> oh, I'm so glad you're at home. Would you care to take a few tickets on our club woman's raffle? Oh, you're raffling off a club woman? <laughs> <laughs> no, thanks, Uppy. I wouldn't know what to do with her if I want. <laughs> Now, please, Mr. McGee. Ah, stop it, you big tea. Oh, well, sure. <laughs> What's the raffle for, Mrs. Uppington? Oh, for a very worthy cause, my dear. Oh. We are going to present the city with a new statue. Oh, a statue of who? Oh, we'll think of somebody. <laughs> and now, how many chances will you take? Well, how much are the tickets, Abigail? Fifteen cents. And the first prize is a large sum in cash. Okay, I'll take one. Oh, uh, so will I. Here's a quarter, Mrs. Uppy. Here's a half a buck. You got change, Uppy? Well, no, I haven't, Miss McGee. Uh-huh. Now, let me see. I owe Mrs. McGee ten cents and you thirty-five cents. Yeah. That's forty-five cents that I owe you both. Oh, here, I have a dollar bill. Have you got uh, fifty-five cents more in change? Nope. Me oh. either. But I got another half a dollar. Oh, well, you let me take that. Huh? Then I think I can work it out. Now, let me see. I owe you fifty-five cents. Uh, uh... A dollar five with that other half I gave you. Oh, well, uh, well, why don't you deduct the tickets, which is 30 cents from the half a buck I gave you, and... Oh, no, you can't do that. <laughs> well, why don't you take the quarter and... and... Oh, that won't do. I tell you, how about the... No, no. Oh, I know, I know. Now, here, you take this half dollar, and I... Oh, no, that's wrong, isn't it? Now, let me see. How much have I here? A dollar and a quarter, and we owe you 30 cents. Yes, exactly. 30 cents from a dollar and a quarter is 95 cents. Now, has anyone a nickel? Here, here's a nickel. Oh, splendid. And here's a dollar. And here are your two tickets. And thank you so much. Goodbye. Dollar and a quarter, two tickets for 15 cents. Dollar thirty-five. Let's see, I gave her a half a buck and she... Hey, somebody got gypped on that deal. Was it us? Well, search me. You ought to know. You're the big business Tyrone. That's typhoon. It is not. A typhoon is a bottle that squirts soda water. That's a siphon. Siphons are snakes. Well, then what's a python? A python is a snake that looks like... Gildersleeve. <laughs> Hello there, Mrs. McGee. Hello, Pipper. Hi, Rocky. <laughs> Say, uh, do you mind if I borrow my coal shovel? Why, certainly not, Mr. Gildersleeve. You can borrow your coal shovel any time you want. Yeah, but don't forget to bring it back, Gildy. Last time you borrowed your coal shovel, you kept it for near two weeks. I'm awfully sorry about that, McGee. But I paid a lot of money for that coal shovel, and, well, I like to take a look at it now and then. <laughs> What do you 
want it for? <laughs> what did you want it for, Mr. Gildersleeve? Well, I wasn't home this morning, and when they delivered my five tons of coal, the driver dumped it right on my front lawn. Oh, that's too bad. Yes. I called the coal company, and they said one of the neighbors told them to dump it there. If I ever lay my hands on the long-nosed, interfering, meddlesome fool... Ah, 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 ah. Now, wait a minute, Gildersleeve. Be careful what you say about me. Oh. <laughs> so it was you, was it? Was I. McGee, you ruined my lawn. I've got to shovel five tons of coal into the basement. Well... And by George, you're going to help me. Who, me? Yes, you. Gildersleeve, if you ain't the most brazen, high-handed lint head I ever saw... Here I do you a favor by telling the coal men where to put the coal, and then you come barging in here and asking for your coal shovel to put the coal in the basement and demand that I help. Why, up? That's un-American. <laughs> I'd refuse to do it, dearie. He can't force you. No. Oh, I can't, eh? No. I'll drag him out there by the scruff of the neck. Who'll drag who out by what scruff of whose neck? You lay one pinky on me, Gildersleeve. And I'll push your chest back up where it used to be. You will, eh? Why, you little pop start. I'll shake you till your eyes roll around like a pinball game. Oh, yeah. You big muscle-bound mus- er, muscle-bound moose. I'll choke you till that foghorn voice of yours sounds like a penny whistle. I'll do worse than that. Molly. Yes, dearie. Take Gildersleeve's name off of that Christmas list. It isn't on. Well, write it on and then scratch it off again. I'll just give somebody else that Daisy Air rifle. You're a hard man, McGee. Gee whiz, I... I've always wanted a Daisy Air Rifle. <laughs> I'll bet you don't know what I was going to give you. What? I won't tell. Oh, come on, I told you. Well, but you're not going to do it. You're mad at me. I ain't mad at you, Gil. Honest. <laughs> what you going to give me? Well... <laughs> You know how you've always wanted a boy scout knife with six blades. <laughs> oh, boy, a real scout knife, huh? One that's got a thing on it that you can hang it on your belt with? Yes. Oh, I give up. <laughs> Look, Gildy, we, we should not argue like this here. It's too, it's too near Christmas. We ought to be full of goodwill and the Christmas spirit, brotherhood and love for your neighbor and all stuff like that there. I'll help you shovel in your dirty old coal. It isn't just on account of I'm giving you that scout knife. Gildersleeve, that knife never entered my mind. Yeah. For a while there, I thought it was going to enter your throat. <laughs> now, if you two anthracite athletes are going to shovel that coal, go ahead and do it. Okay. Get your coat and hat, McGee. It's pretty cold out there. Okay. I got an old coat right here in this box. Yeah, well, hurry up. Oh! Oh! oh. Gotta straighten up that closet one of these days. Come on,
nice front yard Gildersleeve's got here, ain't it, Molly? Oh, it's just beautiful. Well, it certainly is. Even that big pile of coal is very effective. Mm-hmm. Contrasted with the white snow and all. Mm-hmm. Hey, what are you two talking about? You've seen my front yard a thousand times. Pipe down, Gildersleeve. We're planting the scene. Oh. <laughs> Excuse me. Well, get to work, boys. I can hardly wait to see McGee swing that shovel. Don't worry about me. I ain't so bad. Well, hello there, kid. Oh, hi, old timer. Hello there, old timer. some plum pudding for the holidays? Best you ever had. Make it myself. Will it keep? Indefinitely, daughter. Fine. Ask us again next year. <laughs> That's pretty good, Johnny. But that ain't the way I heard it. Did you hear it? Wait a minute. How about you, Throckmorton? Want to order plum pudding? No, I don't. Mm, good, huh? The way I hear it, one feller says, tell a feller, say, says, I... Hey, wait a minute. Either of you folks want to order any mincemeat? Not me. I don't believe so. Uh, okay. One feller says, tell a feller, say, says, I see you're listening to Phil McGee and Molly. Gonna hear him again next week at this time? No, says Telefeller. Not if they're this week next time. <laughs> well, sorry you kids don't want any plum pudding. It's gonna be mighty good. <laughs> I didn't even know you could cook, old-timer. Can't, Johnny. But if I get enough orders, by criminy, I'll learn. So long, kid. <laughs> All right, McGee, get busy. Uh, you better start it off, Gildy. It's your shovel. Well, we can't rush into this now. McGee. Well, now, listen. One of you better start, or I'll go back to the house and bring Uncle Dennis over. He'll do oh, it. Oh, no, 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 no. Get busy, Gildersleeve. Come on, snap in there. All right. That's it. There. Oh. Now try shoveling some in with the window open. I thought I told you to go down there and open that basement window, McGee. I did open the basement window. You threw that in the living room. <laughs> Here, let me take that shovel. I'll show you how it ought to be done. With rhythm. What do you mean, rhythm? He means you've really got to swing that coal, Porter. <laughs> I didn't like it either. Hello, Mr. Wilcox. Well, hello, folks. Hi, Harlow. What's the matter? What do you mean, what's the matter? I mean the way Gildersleeve's staring at me. What have I done? It's what you're going to do that fascinates me, my boy. <laughs> What's he going to do, Gildy? You know as well as I do what he's going to do. Huh? He's going to give out with some advertising. Well, so what? I want to see how he gets into it, that's all. Two men standing over a pile of coal with a shovel. Now, how can he get into Johnson's self-polishing glow coat from that situation? <laughs> Why, it's perfectly simple. What happens when you shovel coal in the snow? You get your feet muddy. Mm-hmm. You track it into the kitchen. But do your wives care? Certainly not. Their kitchen linoleum is protected with Johnson's self-polishing glow coat. The no-rubbing polish that shines as it dries. All she has to do is wipe up the muddy tracks with a damp cloth. No rubbing, no scrubbing, no mopping. Why, <laughs> Johnson's glow coat writes its own sales talk in this situation. By George, I guess it does. <laughs> Didn't even have to give it any thought, did you, Mr. Wilcox? Why, of course not. I just looked down at that pile of coal there in the snow, and there it was, in black and white. Well, I'll see you later, folks. Hey, mark my words, that guy's going to get stumped. And you know what'll happen then? No, what? He'll cut the stump up into boards, build a floor, and cover it with linoleum and go on from there. <laughs> ah, well, Gildy, what do you say we knock off for a little rest? Oh, that's a good idea. Well, for goodness sakes, you've thrown one shovel full of coal into that cellar and you stopped to rest. Uh, 
I'm going to go back to the house and finish that Christmas shopping list. Hey, Molly, make us a pot of coffee, will you? We'll be kind of tired and cold before long. Uh, the way you've been working, I'd suggest tea and ladyfingers. <laughs> I'll be back in a hop with the stuff. <laughs> well, let's say we get going, Frank Gildy. Yes, yes, I guess we're better. Yeah. Hey, you start, McGee. I want to light a cigar. No, you start. I want to unwrap a stick of gum. Well, that's all right. No hurry. Yeah. This coal has been on the ground two million years. I guess it can wait five minutes longer. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll say so. It's the Russian scurry of modern living that's devitalizing the human race. Yeah. <laughs> I made it. <laughs> Some gum, Gilly? Uh, no, thanks. Uh, have a cigar? No, thanks. Ah, there's nothing harder in the world than shoveling coal, is there? <laughs> Hi, mister. Hi, Mr. Gillersleeve. Oh, hello, little girl. Hi, sis. Hi. What you doing? Who's watching? We're shoveling this coal into Mr. Gildersleeve's basement, and we're very busy. So you better run we along. We got steam heat at our house, I betcha. Well, so have I, little girl. Well, then what you want the coal for? <laughs> the coal is what makes the steam, sis. Oh. <laughs> uh... <laughs> uh... <laughs> that's that's right, little girl. <laughs> Oh, how can all that black coal make all that white steam? Now, look, sis, we ain't got time to delve into the physical and chemical aspects of the matter, but roughly, the steam is a result of combustion in the form of a vapor. You know what a vapor is? Sure I do, I betcha. We got one on our windshield. Oh, my goodness. Windshield vapor. No, 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 little girl. Hmm? Let me explain this. Steam is the result of the evaporation of water under extreme heat. You know what makes the whistle blow on a steam engine. Sure. The engineer. <laughs> now, wait a minute, sis. The simple fact remains that we got to get this coal shoveled in, see? Mm-hmm. Like everybody else, Mr. Gildersleeve has got to keep warm this winter, you know. Jesus, does everybody in the world use coal, mister? Practically, yes. Well, with few exceptions, such as Ireland. In Ireland, they burn peat. Peat who? <laughs> Not peat anybody, just peat. Oh, an orphan, huh? <laughs> No, not an orphan. A peat, little girl, is semi-carbonized vegetable matter. Well, gee... Hmm? You better let me handle this, Gildersleeve. Yes. Now, look, little girl. All righty. I'll try to explain... Gee, they'll be peachy, mister. Go ahead. Well, I will if you'll quit interrupting me. You see, the coal... I won't interrupt you anymore, I bet you. Now, that's fine. Now, then, you see... Because coal... interrupting people isn't polite, is it? No, it isn't. Now, for the love of peace... If you love peace, why do you burn him? <laughs> oh, sure. Take it, Gildy. Okay. <laughs> now, look here, little girl. <laughs> We're very busy, so you run along and play so we can get... I can't, I bet you. Not till I give you the message. What message? My daddy went hunting and he brought back a deer. He wants to know if you and Mr. McGee can come over tomorrow night for a vanishing dinner. <laughs> oh, you mean a venison dinner, don't you, sis? Do I? <laughs> sure. Okay. Uh, you tell your father we'll be delighted to come, little girl. Tell him that for me, too, sis. This is the first we've ever been invited to your house. Yes, first time for me, also. I know it. Papa said he couldn't resist the opportunity, I bet you. What opportunity? This is just a venison dinner, isn't it? Sure, but he said he could hardly wait to see you two passing the buck to each other at close range. <laughs> the King's Men sing The Bad Humor Man. <laughs> 
noise. Better fly. Better fly. Better fly. Here comes the enemy of girls and boys. What a guy. What a guy. What a guy. Hear his bell. Hear him yell. Drop your velocipedes and drop your toys and run pell-mell. Tingling, tingling, tingling. It's the bad humor band. Tingling, tingling, tingling. With a frown on his pan. Oh, he hates his job and he hates his feet. He hates everyone on the street. So he sings tingling, tingling as he goes on his way. With his wagon rumbling, he keeps grumbling. Gee, it's an awful day. <laughs> Up every morning at the break of day. What a life, what a life, what a life. Cold cup of coffee on the breakfast tray. What a wife, what a wife, what a wife. All day long, things go wrong. So as he wanders on his weary way, he sings this song. The bad humor man. Tingling, tingling, tingling. I got a frown on my pan. Oh, I don't like anything, no sirree. I hate people and they hate me. Grouchy old fella, indeed is he. Ought to hang him to a sour apple tree. Come along, come along, come along. We can stop him today. When he starts him grumbling, send him tumbling on. Grimy, but are you as groggy as I am, Gildersleeve? I'm pretty tired, McGee, but it's good for us. Gives tone to the muscles. Yeah, and at the next tone signal, that's my muscle signing off. <laughs> it wasn't for that scalp knife you're giving me, Gildersleeve. Oh, here comes Molly with a pahada, a hot coffee. Welcome, Mrs. McGee, welcome. Well, well, which one of you boys is Amos? Now, don't twit us, Molly. We're all wore out. Oh, that's too bad. Yeah. Will Mammy's little cold black rose have a mug of javin? Yeah, thanks. You know, this is mighty nice of you, Mrs. McGee. Oh, not at all, not at all. How many lumps, Mr. Gildersleeve? There's about a half a ton there. We'll be... What? Oh, you mean sugar. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Two, please, and a few drops of cream. Uh, Where's the cream shake, Fisher, and Mrs. McGee and Mr. Gildersleeve? Hello. Good day, Mr. Hello, Nick. Hi, Nick. Hey, I don't like to be making any derogatory remarks, but why don't you wash your faces? <laughs> My goodness, I didn't know you could get so dirty on the radio. <laughs> well, you can't shovel coal without getting a little grimy, Nick. Too bad you weren't here a couple of hours ago, Mr. DePopolis. You could have helped him. Oh, not me, Cupid. It's too stony puss for me. My doctor says I must not do any violent exercises. You know, arthritis. Oh, have you got arthritis? Sure, he's my doctor, Dr. Stanopoulos Arthritis. <laughs> well, what's he treating you for, Nick? Two dollars a visit. Well, what have you got? A dollar and a half, but my credit is good, sweetie. <laughs> now, now, this is 
isn't getting us any place. Yeah. Where do you want to get to, Pee? My car is right around the corner. No, it's just an expression, Mr. DePopolis. I'm not going anywhere. I'm waiting to see these two shoveliers get the rest of that coal in. <laughs> we just stopped for a breathing spell, Mrs. McGee. Uh, you don't mind if we breathe, do you? I don't care if you have bell-bottom pants. But I wish you'd get through and clean yourself up. Me too, Cupid. I think they are a disgraceful to the neighborhood. You know what I would do if I was shoveling all that coal? What would you do? I wouldn't do it. <laughs> well, I'd better be getting along. And don't forget, we want you all to come over to our house for Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving? Hey, that's 11 months and two weeks away. <laughs> we can wait. So long now. <laughs> Boys, get busy. You'll catch cold standing around here like this. Okay, Mrs. McGee. I'll take the rest of it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, nice going, Gildersleeve. Uh, thanks, chum. And I'll have to admit you've been a great help to me. Oh, it was nothing that any red-blooded, clean-living American boy wouldn't have done, Gildersleeve. Oh, yes, it was, McGee. Huh? My goodness, the way you've toiled and slaved to help me today, with your little biceps quivering and your frail little legs tottering. Oh. I ain't got legs like a frail. <laughs> Don't you get it, Molly? He says something about my frail little legs. Ain't funny, McGee. Oh, well, they're all tired anyway. Now, come on. Put your coat on before you catch your death of cold. My coat? Where did I put my... <laughs> hey, you know what I done? No, oh, what'd you do, McGee? <laughs> when I went down to open your cellar window, I laid my coat down on the basement floor. <laughs> and you know where it is now? <laughs> down there in your basement under five ton of coal. What? <laughs> it's a good thing it's an old coat. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give it back to you in the spring, McGee. <laughs> uh, for goodness sake, McGee, I don't think that's anything to laugh about. Huh? Go down there right away and dig it out. Oh, no, sir, not me. I'm all wore out now. I was you're, you're the world, Mr. McGee. Huh? Oh, Mr. McGee, I, I have wonderful news for you. What is it, Mrs. Uppington? You won first prize on our raffle. What? Well, that's honest. wonderful. I yes. won first prize? Yes, on you the did. Rest. Now, oh. give me the ticket, Mr. McGee, and I'll give you the prize right now. The, the tickets? Yes, the raffle tickets, McGee. Where are they? Why, hey, I, I left them tickets in my coat pocket, and my coat is down under the... Oh, no. Oh, <laughs> no. I wouldn't shovel five ton of coal again for a hundred dollars. Oh, but Mr. McGee, the prize is a hundred dollars. What? It is? Give me that shovel, Gildersleeve, and get out of my way. What are you going to do? I'm going to shovel five tons of coal again for a hundred dollars. Come on. How many hours of work do you save in a year by using Johnson's self-polishing blow coat? Well, it's a good many, I can tell you. Enough to do plenty of other things. Bridge, movies, playing with your children, or just plain and fancy sitting around. Glow Coat is a valuable time saver. It does away with tiresome floor scrubbing and requires no rubbing or buffing. Practically no work at all from you. And yet, Glow Coat makes your floors very beautiful. Keeps the colors of your linoleum bright and fresh. Makes the linoleum last longer. It's no wonder Johnson's Glow Coat has gone on month after month, increasing in popularity. If you're not a Glow Coat fan, try this easy-to-use floor polish just once on your kitchen floor. Oh, and by the way, when you're looking for a practical, inexpensive Christmas gift for your friends, why not consider either Johnson's Wax or Johnson's Self-Polishing Glow Coat? I can assure you they'll be as welcome as they are useful. I have tons of coal. 
measly hundred bucks. Silly me to bury my coat. Can't this? Look at these calluses. Okay, Molly, okay, you've done enough. And me the shovel, I'll do the rest. Good night. Good night, Hall. This is Harlow Wilcox, speaking for the makers of Johnson's Wax and Johnson's Self-Polishing Glow Coat, inviting you to be with us again next Tuesday night. Good night. If you're the proud owner of one of those handsome new two-tone cars, let me make this suggestion. Keep the finish beautiful by protecting it occasionally with Car New, Johnson's sensational new auto polish. Car New will keep the finish looking like new and will save you work in the bargain because Car New actually cleans and wax polishes in one operation, two jobs at one and the same time. No longer is wax polishing expensive or laborious. Whether your car is old or new, give it this modern beauty treatment. Ask your dealer for Johnson's Car New, spelled C-A-R-N-U. This is the National Broadcasting Company. This is Chicago WMAQ. This is the last week. Yes, this week is your last chance on this program to hear how to get a 14-carat gold-plated copy of Sergeant Preston's famous mounted police whistle. So hurry, get this official two-tone police whistle offered only by Quaker Puffed Wheat and Quaker Puffed Rice. The swell-tasting king-size cereals shot from gun. You get with this terrific whistle a 12-inch gold-colored braided nylon cord to hang from your buttonhole or belt. It's a beauty of a whistle, plated with gleaming 14-karat gold. It's a heavy whistle. You can feel the weight and quality of the heavy-duty metal. It's a big whistle, actually over three and a half inches long. And listen to its two-tone sound that shows it's an official police whistle. Think of the signaling you can do with this Sergeant Preston whistle. Perfect for dark night, handy in any emergency. Just what you need for training and calling your dog. Don't forget, this police whistle is not for sale in any store. To get it, buy a package of Quaker Puffed Rice or Quaker Puffed Wheat. The famous breakfast cereals shot from gun. Actually exploded up to eight times normal size to make them bigger and better tasting. Delicious and tender as nuts in November. Then send the box top with only 35 cents. That's 35 cents and your name and address to Yukon. Box L, Chicago 77, Illinois. You'll get a money-back guarantee with your swell 14-karat gold-plated Sergeant Preston mounted police whistle. Yes, hold it in your hand. Blow it just once. And if it isn't better, far better, than any other whistle you've ever seen, you may return it and get every cent of your money back, plus postage. So hurry, hurry, hurry. This is the last week of this radio offer. Send 35 cents and a box top from Quaker Puffed Wheat or Quaker Puffed Rice to Yukon, Y-U-K-O-N, Yukon, Box L, Chicago 77, Illinois. Transcribed. Ladies and gentlemen, the Railroad Hour. And here comes our star-studded show train.
Tonight, the Association of American Railroads presents the famous musical success, Showboat, starring Gordon McRae and his two charming guest stars, Dorothy Kirsten and Lucille Norman. Our choir is under the direction of Norman Luboff, and the music is prepared and conducted by Carmen Dragon. Yes, tonight another great musical hit is brought to you by the American Railroads, the same railroads that bring you most of the food you eat, the clothes you wear, the fuel you burn, and all the other things you use in your daily life. And now, here is our star, Gordon McRae. Thank you, Marvin Miller, and good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Well, tonight, the curtain rises on the immortal Jerome Kern Oscar Hammerstein musical play, Showboat, based on the novel of the same name by Edna Ferber. This is the story of Captain Andy's showboat, the story of the Mississippi and of the river gambler Gaylord Ravenall, the part in which I appear this evening. It is the story of the showboat's leading lady, Julie, played for us by Lucille Norman, and of Captain Andy's beautiful daughter, Magnolia, our other charming guest for tonight, the lovely soprano of the Metropolitan Opera, Dorothy Kirsten. began the summer I was 17. My father's showboat, the Cotton Blossom, was tied up at the dock at Natchez. I remember it was a warm summer afternoon, and as I stepped down onto the levee, I saw Gaylord Ravenall for the first time and took him to my heart forever. I remember that I said hello as though I'd known him always, and he took off his hat and bowed. How do you do? Do you live here? No, I'm just a wayfarer along the river. So am I. Which way are you going? Either way. Which way are you going? Anywhere Papa gives shows. Oh? Are you an actress? No, but I'd give anything if I could be. <laughs> Why? Oh, because you can make believe so many wonderful things that never happen in real life. But wonderful things do happen. Why, this very day I was standing here in the levee feeling blue. And suddenly I looked up. And... Oh, I have to go now. Why? Well, I... I didn't realize you were talking to me, and I don't know you. Well, if you like to make believe things, why can't we make believe we know each other? <laughs> All right. We haven't seen each other for 75 years, and you're my long-lost nephew. Oh, no. I don't <laughs> think I like the idea of being your nephew. Let's imagine that we've just met. But we really have. Yes, but let's just suppose we've fallen in love at, at first sight. All right. The game of just supposing is the sweetest game I know. Our dreams are more romantic than the world we see. And if the things we dream about don't happen to be so, that's just an unimportant Technicality. We could make believe I love you. We could make believe. 
peace of mind in pretending. Couldn't you? Couldn't I? Couldn't we? You'd excuse me, ma'am? Uh, yes, of course. I hope I'll see you again. Oh, I hope so, too. Goodbye. Goodbye. standing on the dock and I came down the gangplank and all of a sudden I looked up and there he was. And he, he looked so, so different from anybody else I'd ever met in my whole life. But honey, suppose he turned out to be a, a no-count river fella. Oh, if I found out he was a no-account, I'd stop loving him. Wouldn't you stop loving Steve if he treated you mean? No, honey. No matter what he did. You see, child, love's a funny thing. There's just no sense to it. It's like that thing you always sing when we take our walks. Yes, it certainly is. Fish got a swimming boat, got a fly, I got a Crazy 
help loving that man of mine. That's the way it was for Julie, and that's the way it was for me. All that night I lay awake in my bunk, listening to the river whispering to itself, wondering if I would ever see Gaylord Ravenall again. And then came the morning that brought so many changes. Julie and her husband left the showboat, and I was suddenly made the leading lady. And I stood on deck beside my father, listening to him talk to Gaylord Ravenall. You say you'd like me to give you a bed on my boat tonight on credit? That's right. I thought, sir, if I could have a bet on your boat tonight, I could pay you my fare tomorrow at Fort Adams. I I expect a remittance. You and... ever acted? Acted? We need a juvenile lead, $15 a week. Chance to see the world, no responsibility. That's what he means, young man. This is my wife, Parthy, Mr. Ravenall. I'm happy to meet you, ma'am. How do? Hmm. We don't like to pick up actors off the wharves, but we can't be choosy just now. Well, madam... Your courtesy is succeeded only by your charm. My daughter here is going to be the leading woman. This will be her first day at acting, too. So, you're to have your chance to play at make-believe after all. Yes. Well, I certainly wouldn't want to miss a chance to be your leading man. And so, we sailed up the river... Into complete enchantment. At night we did our shows, and I'm sure such love scenes were never seen on any stage before. It was the only time we were sure of being together. All other meetings were stolen meetings behind my mother's back. I remember the last meeting we ever had to steal. I told my mother I'd fill her pitcher, and Gay met me beside the water barrel on the upper deck. Oh, darling, darling. I can't stay but a minute. Mother's waiting. Nola, I want to marry you. Tomorrow, in Greenville. But Mother would... She's going to be in Fayette all morning. She told me so herself. Well, there's a lovely little church in Greenville. Oh, but Father, he's liable He was the one who gave me the idea of marrying you while your mother was away. Oh, Nola, honey, please say you will. Oh, I want to, Gay. I can't stand it this way any longer. I want you all to myself. I want to take you to places you've never seen. I want to show you new cities, theaters, restaurants, and people. And you and I will move among them, but I would still feel as if we were all by ourselves. Oh, Gay. You are love here in my arms where you
We'll return with the second act of Showboat in just a moment. For millions of Americans, fall and football are inseparable. The stirring band music, the crisp autumn air, the big yellow chrysanthemums, they're all part of a colorful picture. But it's precision teamwork that makes football the exciting, entertaining sport that it is. This same sort of teamwork is evident in almost every phase of American life. And when the going is difficult, we work together more closely than ever. Today, this is being forcefully demonstrated on the nation's railroads. As the current national emergency developed, all railroads joined hands in a program designed to meet increasing transportation requirements. Working as one, they first undertook to meet the transportation needs of national defense. And those needs are being met currently and without delay. Teamwork made it all possible. Speedily, and at an ultimate cost of more than a half billion dollars, the railroads placed orders for more than 100,000 new freight cars. At the same time, they have accelerated the repair and rebuilding of the cars on hand and are getting more work from all freight cars by moving them faster over the road and more promptly through the terminals. Playing a prominent part in the success of this operation are more than $4.5 billion worth of improvements installed on the nation's railroads since the close of the Second World War. Meanwhile, shippers and receivers of freight, essential members of the transportation team, are loading cars more heavily, loading and unloading them more promptly, all aimed at getting the most effective use from the cars available. Teamwork like this gets results. For during the last three months, railroads moved more than 11 million carloads of freight, nearly 30% more freight than during the same period last year. Yes, we're seeing plenty of teamwork these fall days, teamwork on the gridiron and in the vitally important business of railroading, which provides the dependable, efficient mass transportation service so essential to the economic well-being and military strength of our nation. And now we return to Gordon McRae in Showboat with his two charming guest stars, Dorothy Kirsten and Lucille Norman. There's an old man called the Mississippi That's the old man that I'd like to be And so Gaylord Ravenel and I were married And life was as its springtime Life was a thing of romance and excitement and adventure Life was gay I knew he was a gambler, but it didn't matter Nothing mattered except that we were together well, dear, I think I'll go out and see if my luck's as good as it was an hour ago. Oh, Gay, do you think you ought to? While the cards are running for me, honey, I've got to play them. I'll be back in time to take you out to supper. All right, darling. Oh, I'm so happy. I'm so happy with you, Gay. Why do I love you? Why do you love me? Why should there be two? Oh, you 
lucky too. All your dreams of joy seem to come true. Why do you love me? How quickly a love song can turn to minor. How quickly a world can be lost when you're holding it by a shoestring. How many years did we actually have? It seems now they passed with such swiftness that it is impossible for the heart to follow them or add them up. I do know that our daughter Kim was seven the day I walked into an empty, bare little hotel room and found a letter. <laughs> Dearest, by the time this letter reaches you, I shall be on a train bound heaven knows where. There is nothing left to pawn and no more friends to borrow from. I'm enclosing $200. This will let Kim finish her term at school. Then you can both go to your parents. I'm doing this because I think it is right and because I love you. Please believe I will always love you. Goodbye. Your own gay. Oh, gay! Gay! That was goodbye. That was how spring and summer ended with a chill wind blowing across my heart and the knowledge that love was gone and it was autumn. And then the long years set in. I went on the stage and I became successful. And our daughter Kim went on the stage and became even more successful. And as I was able to retire, and it seems to me now, looking back, that I stopped living from the moment that I had that letter to the moment when my father's letter came. And I hurried back to the showboat. And there, standing beside him, was Gay. Hello, Nola. Gay, isn't that your daughter, Captain Hawks? Oh, yeah, that's Nola. How do? I remember you when you were leading lady on this showboat. And that's your husband, isn't it? I was here on this levee the day you were married. Well, glad to see it turned out well and you're still happy together. Good night. Good night, dear. Good night. Nola, the... There isn't any way to ask you to forgive me. Now, hold on a minute, Gay. Trouble is, you keep blaming yourself for things, and the fact is, you were just unlucky. The lucky people are the ones that get to do what they enjoy doing. I always enjoyed running a showboat, and I made a success out of it. Now, you, you was meant to be a gentleman. Big mistake you made was ever to try to earn a living. Nobody ever expected it of you. You was on the right track when you started to be a leading man on the river. You could have got to be a big Broadway actor. 
And then you wouldn't have had to work anymore. <laughs> Andy? Andy? Parthy's calling me. I guess I better be going. You know, Captain, I don't understand it. Married all these years, and yet every time she calls, you jump. What is it? What has she got? She got a mean disposition. <laughs> Andy! I'm coming, Parthy. I'm coming. Gay, listen. Remember how we used to stand up here listening to them singing below? Oh, Gay. Welcome home, my darling. Welcome home. I'm back to stay. I know now where my home is, sweetheart, and where I belong. Here we all work on the Mississippi. Here we all work while the white folks play. Pulling those boats from the dawn to sunset Getting no rest till the judgment day Oh, don't look up and don't look down You don't dare make the big boss frown Bend your knees and bow your head And pull that rope until you're dead oh, let me go from the Mississippi, let me go away from the white man boss. Show me that stream called the River Jordan. That's the old stream that I long to.
Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. Dorothy Kirsten and Lucille Norman will be back in just a moment. And thanks to our supporting cast, Earl Ross and Norma Varden, for their fine performances in Jerome Kern and Oscar Hammerstein's musical play, Showboat, which was based on the novel of the same name by Edna Ferber and adapted for radio by Gene Holloway. The railroads, as we all know, are hauling a greatly increased volume of goods for civilian use and for national defense. In handling this big job, the railroads have had the benefit of the extensive improvements in roadway and equipment which have been made in the past five years, and especially the benefit of the fine teamwork that exists between railroads and between railroads and shippers. And now, here are Dorothy Kirsten and Lucille Norman. Well, two beautiful blondes. <laughs> Dorothy and Lucille, it was great to have you with us on the Railroad Hour tonight. <laughs> And we're looking forward to having you both back soon. Next week, Miss Eileen Wilson is going to be our guest, and we're doing the wonderful musical Irene. Oh, wonderful. See you soon, Gordon. Goodbye, kids. Bye. Pull <laughs> aboard. Well, it looks as though we're ready to pull out, and so until next week, goodbye. Gordon McRae will soon be seen, starring in the Warner Brothers production, The West Point Story. Our choir is under the direction of Norman Luboff, and our music is prepared and conducted by Carmen Dragon. This is Marvin Miller saying goodbye until next week for the American Railroads. And now, keep tuned to your Monday night of music on NBC. Transcribed. This is Gordon McRae again, friends. The telephone hour is next on NBC. Thank you for listening. We hope you'll return next week for the old-time radio daytime shows. Be sure to listen to our other programs on the Strangers and Pilgrims podcast. Mm-hmm.